Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Competition never waits. Take your gear on the go with a custom pack built to protect it. Because any place can be an arena. Game on. The Tumi Esports Capsule. Available on Tumi.com and select Tumi stores. My name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 173 of the No Encore Music Podcast. A very packed episode this week. Craig Fitzpatrick. Hey, hey. Happy Independence Day. In America. Yeah. Yesterday when the podcast dropped. <laughs> Sahi. Hello. Hey, Dan. Hey. <laughs> I can't believe it. We've been so long that really. I get the obligatory <laughs> hand clap now. That's well, great. I was just saying that it was weird because like you were gone and it feels like it was longer than two weeks. But also you, you were away for a couple of reasons because, you know, you were gigging and also you went to a wedding. You went abroad to go to a wedding, which wasn't Cullum's wedding. It wasn't Cullum or Hurley, Cullum or Hurley's wedding. No, it wasn't it was Cullum or Regan's his, wedding. His brother. It wasn't Cullum's wedding <laughs> yeah. either. It's a, it's a slap in the face. Of oh, yeah, because I didn't that, go to I didn't that. Go you to went abroad for a wedding. wedding was, either, yeah. uh, it was basically I didn't have any gig and uh, a friend of mine, Brendan, uh, who seems to be mentioned every single time I'm on the podcast, Brendan from Feel Good Last. Brendan Canty, yeah. uh, He needed a plus one because his wife is now working in New York. and uh, Fiance. Fiance, yeah, fiance. Did I say wife? Wow. Jeez, wow. All, these, all these wedding, <laughs> wedding crackers. Unless like, okay, it's very warm in here, isn't it? It is, it is very hot in the studio. Yeah. I'll stop grilling Dahi. Was anyway, it? I went to I went to a wedding in in Greece. This very very fancy fancy wedding uh, on an uh, island in Greece called Sifnos, and it was very very nice. It was fantastic. Oh, it's very well turned out. Okay. <laughs> Rocking. As noted, uh, slammed episode this week. Uh, we're going to be talking about Pride Weekend. We're going to be talking about Glastonbury Vampire Weekend's trip to Dublin. We have an interview with Bantam, who finally returns to the show for an excellent interview, I thought. Really kind of interesting and candid about what he's been up to for the last couple of years. And uh, there's uh, incredible new music, and I do mean incredible. We'll also be reviewing Tom York's new album as well. So lots to get through today. But we'll start with Pride Weekend, Dahi. You were playing at the Mother Block Party, which was literally the hottest ticket in town. You could not get into this thing. It was really serious. It was like, I was getting messages left, right and centre, and uh, Cormac, who runs Mother, who's like the organiser, I lived with him for a few uh, months, 
place and he was getting amazing stuff. He was like, his grinder was completely filled with people looking <laughs> for tickets. And uh, there was even at one point some guy like said to him, he was like, hey man, I have a ticket for uh, the Pride Mother block party. Like, you you run the thing. How much do you think this ticket is worth now? Like, I've only paid 30 quid for it. <laughs> so like, he was saying to the person, he was asking how much a scalp Can would I be worth. It, yeah. Like, so Jesus, yeah, yeah. it was like really, really seriously, like a huge amount of people interested. It was in Collins Barracks, uh, their new kind of uh, venue, and it was fantastic. It was really, really good. Um, as Pride usually is, it has this like really, really kind of positive atmosphere. Mm. You're kind of let loose to do whatever you want, and it feels like a really kind of a freeing moment and stuff. So it was really, really good, really fun to play with. I had uh, I had Sinead White on stage and Elaine and um, uh, Alvaretti also came out as well. So it was a fantastic time. Pillow Queens were also playing before me as well, who were fantastic. Absolutely nailed it. Uh, and Mo was straight afterwards, and she was really, really awesome. great. And she seemed like really, really delighted to be there as well. She really kind of, she was she was amazing. Yeah. Her rider as well. Oh. Very simple rider. What was on it? Uh, cheese in the Heat, which is mad. Uh, <laughs> cheese a lot in the of Heat? Water. That some... Cheese in the Heat. That's a new <laughs> single from Mo coming out soon. Uh, cheese brackets lots and grapes. grapes. And uh, what else? There was no beer. It's like no a Roman nothing. Emperor. She was, yeah, <laughs> it was. It was very, very Roman-esque. Like, yeah, Neapolitan ice cream. <laughs> kind of but uh, yeah, and she was, she was fantastic as well. Hang on, what's on your rider? My rider is basically, well, it used to be, my, my, when I first had my rider, uh, Googie, my manager, I didn't realize I could have a, a writer. So he, didn't he made tell up you. this fake writer for me, which had oh, like um, a coloring book, but the coloring book couldn't have any like princesses or anything like that. It had to have dinosaurs or spaceships. Yeah, your uh, favorites. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a set of Lego would, had to, would be on the writer as well. Um, like Haribo sweets and like just really loads of this kind of stuff. And then like people kind of took it as a joke most of the time. And then I did a college gig once where, oh, <laughs> where like... this college had like fulfilled the entire thing and gotten the graphic design department of the student union to make a custom coloring book with my face in the front and everything. What? And like, do you I still have in. this? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, and I came in and they were like, so we fulfilled your rider. And I was like, what rider? <laughs> we, own, like, oh, we own your soul now. <laughs> so, so hang now, on. So uh, now instead I, I got like a really like, like smarmy like one where I'm like, take the 10 euro we're going to spend on the rider and give it to charity. Oh, and do so, Yeah, yeah. Dying. Have to go the other way, you know. Six bottles of sparkling water. Uh, yeah, yeah. Spark- <laughs> sparkling water, local beer if you can get it. Uh, local beer? Yeah, like yeah. A local Support beer. local. That's what real. saying. Then you go to like, in each place, you get like a cool IPA from the fucking none of your Polish shit, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Jesus, yeah. a fancy local beer. I remember funeral good. suits back in the day used to have a framed, blurry photograph of Michael Bolton on their rider. That's right, yeah. And it once got fulfilled. I think they played Longitude or something. That's amazing. And MCD actually had it for them in the dressing yeah, room. They yeah. were like, I can't believe it. It's finally happened. Richie J had a really good one as well. What was it? It was like. Uh, I think that was Dustin Hoffman then, was it, or something like that? He had like a... Uh, Dustin Hoffman actually there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. D- yeah, actually there. Luckily actually he was there. a fan, so yeah, yeah, it wasn't yeah, a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I've got films to do, mate. <laughs> Long as you, of course, is taking place on the weekend of this podcast, and oh, that's wow, been a yeah. really interesting what a weird festival. Roller. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel so sorry for the organisers, just people dealing with the logistics of it all like on the ground. Pushy T is randomly there at three o'clock oh, on day I, one. I know, it what? makes no sense. And people are complaining about it. Well, yeah, what's like really 17 year olds are going, what, who's this dude? It's amazing. Though, because when the lineup was announced, it was all people over twenty-five going like, "I have never heard yeah. of a single artist." Little Lucy, Pusha T gets booked, and all the young people who bought the tickets are like, yeah. "Who the fuck is this yeah, guy?" Get schema. <laughs> what? Uh, but is he still? Is he still on at like three in the day? Yes, I think so. Oh my god, Which is such a waste. Why get up and fly him over? It like? must be a thing where he's double booked, or he has to be out of there by a certain time. It has to be right. 
I, don't, I was like Unless looking just at the his weirdest Twitter mind and stuff. He hasn't even mentioned it. Like, do you know what I mean? It's such a r- random one for him. It's to very take last as minute. Well. I think it's. I think it's very much like okay, a big name has dropped out. Other big names have kind of dropped out. We're scared that ASAP Rocky might be in prison. Yeah. Uh, who yeah, knows what Cardi B is going to do? So we, the fuck, like, send the push alarm. You know, which sounds like <laughs> push. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. So yeah, uh, one man who was drafted in last minute into Longitude to replace Chance the Rapper, which I think is a fucking massive upgrade, was of course Stormzy, who headlines on the Saturday night. I doubt I was the only one at this table. I know I wasn't the only one in the world who sat on my couch on the first night at Glastonbury, mm. and I watched Stormzy fucking dominate the pyramid stage. So good, incredible performance for the ages. Yeah, it was so like well judged. He just hit. Mm all the kind of markers and like it was such a big deal for him that I don't think I didn't go into it going oh I hope he doesn't mess this up it was like never in doubt really mm, yeah, um, yeah, yeah I mean he yeah, treated it the same way as Beyonce would treat Coachella you know what I mean it was like yeah. it was like a massive kind of a movement moment and stuff and um, yeah hugely important as well I mean he really like yeah, the political stuff really yeah 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 it was like a massive deal like you know it was great yeah, he came out, uh, several costume changes throughout, much like Beyonce. He had um, uh, a stab vest designed by Banksy. With Which a, he didn't know was designed by Banksy. I didn't something. know it was designed by Was it really designed by I Banksy? read it was, who knows. I mean, like ultimately, it was basically like the Punisher in, in, with a Union Jack. Kind of <laughs> designed a, by Banksy as well. I mean, yeah. it, was a, it was a Union Jack on a <laughs> stab yeah. vest. It was like, fair play, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Throw some red paint on a wall. It's <laughs> fucking like, worth two million. Uh, I thought it was amazing. I thought it was really, really captivating. Um, I, I remember watching him at Glastonbury again via the television screen because fuck would I ever go to Glastonbury. No way, man. It, it looks just so ne- intense. You'd never go just to say like I've been there. It looks so intense. Like, yeah. It's the size of a fucking it down yeah. like crazy uh, I, don't know. I heard uh, Christian Tierney was there taking photos of Hosier and he said that each stage has their own specific wristband because which is really interesting for Glastonbury Glastonbury has so many stages that like if you had like an artist pass that could get you into all the stages there could be like 500 artists by the side of the stage well, yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so like everybody has to have it. a specific singular thing and you can't go anywhere else apart mm. from the stage like, look, look it's hugely impressive I mean it just seems like a nightmare of logistics and also like I find I find like big outdoor gigs can be overwhelming at the best of times sometimes so the notion of it going to the biggest thing of all I just and again, I mean, like, like all this fucking like, who are those pricks with the flags? I mean, like, like what are you doing? <laughs> that's the iconic Glastonbury thing. Though. You it's fucking the views, Dahi. I, th- I think <laughs> I think it's a good thing because it's like you immediately see that audience. You go, okay, that's the Glastonbury audience. I think it's well. Like speaking of the Glastonbury thing, audience, like the pyramid stage. Before I go yeah. back to praise and Swarmsy, I mean, like every single time without fail, every single time it cut to the crowd. It was embarrassing. It was <laughs> yeah, the it really whitest, was. most Tory audience, <laughs> fucking throwing shapes like like a drunk uncle at a wedding. What did you think of the the Dave featuring uh, Alex? I, uh, I didn't. Uh, okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna be flat out here. I'm gonna be brutally honest here. I fucking hate that kid. Yeah, so do I. He's Thank everywhere. You. I'm so sick. He of was it. on Good Morning Britain, and which it by the way, cringy as endorsed all by hell. Piers Morgan. Well yeah. done. Piers Morgan was doing this thing of like, oh look, I, I'm down with the kids dance. It's just like rap has existed for forty years. Yeah, but this time Craig a black person isn't doing it so yeah, therefore it's yeah. okay oh. uh, I hated it from the moment I saw it I just thought who is this little shrimp in a fucking bucket see? hat he was immediately cancelled <laughs> people found he was a homophobic tweet yeah. Yeah. <laughs> although I, I don't think it took effect because he, no, like, he got like two, didn't, no, he got 200,000 Twitter followers in a day and then he cancelled him immediately <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everyone's endorsing him like he's 15 so I mean like look listen he's he's, he's obviously and I mean, in not educated enough for, for a dramatic thing where he gets on stage I hate it no no I'm against this I'm against this entire thing I hate and also it wasn't just like he was some random kid like dragged up well he was but he was very much like it was shrewd operating on his part because he had the t-shirt oh, he's yeah. on his mate's shoulders he was a massive fan yeah he, he was, was 
was like he knew like, exactly yeah. what he was. For anyone doing. who has no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> Dave, who is a Stormzy protege, had his own set at Glastonbury, I think on the Saturday. Yeah. And during it, he played his song, Thiago Silva. As Craig mentioned, the T-shirt, the football yes, jersey, Paris Saint-Germain. Kid in the crowd. Uh, Dave was like, is anybody here who knows this song? Like, can flat out get on here. Who isn't drunk can, can actually get up here with me and hang. Let's do it. And they picked, picked this kid out of the crowd. Viral clip. It's been everywhere on Twitter. Everywhere. Now, that's a problem. That's not his fault. But I hate that. The reaction to this thing where the fickleness of the general public is shown like to spike in this horrific 15 minutes of Twitter moments fame. And it's like, you know, oh, he now has 500,000 Twitter followers. I'm like, why? He's 15. Boohoo.com are like, you got free clothes for life, young man. And I'm like, fuck <laughs> yeah. all of this. And Piers Morgan, like, like the ultimate like Titanic capstone on this, <laughs> being endorsed by Piers Slugman yeah, Morgan. Such vermin. Gross. I, I hope this is over. I'm sick of seeing that clip. I'm sick of seeing the start of the clip on mute I, and him I milling news, around I in a stupid fucking hat he's talking about maybe releasing his own tracks now so of course he is course, yeah. maybe yeah. it's going to be all kicking off no I hate this <sighs> I, I, audience participation man I'm not into it if I go to a show right I'm, I'm paying my money or in some cases most cases not paying my money <laughs> to see pro- <laughs> professional musicians be professional on stage I don't need this come out of the crowd and play the guitar with me like I mean yeah, like, it's very sorry. Foo Fighters isn't it it's, it's very like, Glenn Hansard it's very yeah. Foo Fighters even like that Lana Del Rey gig goes out recently where she spent like the last 10 minutes down at the front with fans it was lovely like if you were one of the fans but also it was like the 95% of the rest of the audience that are nowhere near you is just like getting nothing or we're just watching you hang out with random people I don't know yeah I thought Stormzy to go back to Stormzy real quick I thought Stormzy's set was fucking awesome I thought thought it was everything he needed to be I thought he elevated himself as an absolute superstar it was perfectly judged I thought even if it had a a really annoying Ed Sheeran shout out and A fairly nice but kind of pointless Chris Martin uh, assist. Although Chris Martin... He loves like, Chris Martin. Came, th- this is the thing. People got really mad about this, but Stormzy adores Chris Martin and therefore it was a nice moment for him and he didn't overshadow him, I thought. And also, like Chris Martin got a lot of hate throughout the weekend because he came out during Kylie's set as well, I believe. I didn't see that. Um, so people were like making the guy that like, oh, he's he's like like in a freezer backstage right? to be thought out for whoever yeah, hanging around. needs him. But the one thing I will say and I've said it on the show before is this, right? First of all, I think Coldplay have a lot of good songs. Second of all, they're kind of overhated. Third of all, no, I'm not a stan. Fourth of all, and most important of all is <laughs> this right when uh, when Coldplay headlined Glastonbury a few years ago they did a fucking incredible thing for that band Viola Beach who died oh yeah where they played their song and interspersed it with them and I thought that was one of the most powerful moments in music I've ever seen and therefore for that alone I, like, I'm like it's okay Chris They're Martin good, Chris good Martin lads. is not the fucking yeah. devil great bunch Boo-hoo of lads. should give him clothes for life boohoo.com <laughs> should, should team up with Chris Martin <laughs> for does Chris Martin have 500,000 followers on Twitter probably not like. I don't think he's on Twitter okay uh, anyone see anybody else apparently the killers were grand- apparently the cure were amazing uh, yeah I watched a bit of the cure but it quickly became this is uh, like a depressingly good because I'm not there um, and it was a Sunday night and it was a bit curesy do you know what I mean uh, the killers were good like they really did a good job they brought out Johnny Marr they brought out Neil Tennant from the Pet Shop Boys did the Pet Shop Boys cover of fucking Always On My Mind, which is weird. It's like, to honour the Pet Shop Boys, a song they covered. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, Johnny Marr yeah, emerging led to like uh, the following sentence being uttered out of my house. Who were the Smiths? <laughs> like, okay. Uh, yeah, I saw very little of it. I didn't even like go back to check it out because again, there's just so much happening. I saw a bit of uh, Interpol being really, really bad. We'll yeah. be talking about Interpol <laughs> we'll talk later about on. Them. We'll get to them. Uh, anything else in Glastonbury? <laughs> Dahi. Would, have you played uh, it? Would you play it? Uh, uh, I'd play it, yeah. You have played it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't played okay, it. No, right. no, I would play it. There was a big Oasis family bust up. That was a whole. Thing. Oh yeah, uh, Lewis Capaldi also Lee, bodies. Lee Capaldi, yeah. yeah, 
the Lewis Capaldi thing was just what Jay Z did like ten years ago, right? Yeah. Where you just took like Noel's clip of him slagging him off. And had but we live in more uh, social media friendly banterific times, Craig. That's true. That's and true. And therefore, if you know, it's like that quote from the Point Break remake when someone says, <laughs> "What was really funny about if that a tree was... falls and no one puts it on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> did it happen?" The Lewis Capaldi thing was funny as well because it was like this big epic thing where he brought it in and it was like well cut and then these big loads, a huge amount of noise and stuff. And yeah. the money's falling down. Yeah, like fucking Shane Oma. Mac, here comes and then, the money. Yeah. And, then, and then the music stops and, and it starts he, yes, into a Lewis Capaldi yes, song, which is basically the slowest, so quietest <laughs> beige thing in the world. It was just like, ah, oh, lads. That was yeah, pretty that funny, was whether he meant it or He's not. He's so much at odds like with his, like, it's such a weird melding of like the, the viral Lewis Capaldi and the music is just so completely at odds with each other. It's needs so to team with Alex Mann, that's what he needs to do. He does, he mm. does. So on Monday, uh, the Trinity Summer Series kicked off, which is currently ongoing. I believe there's a gig happening around the corner right now. Uh, Craig and I, and a few other friends of the show went to see Vampire Weekend who were in town touring Father of the Bride two hour set yeah Um, I guess real quick what I will say is this I I didn't like it at all because I was having a miserable time Uh, I was like hardcore depressed and it was really not where I should have been I wanted to see them because ultimately rare is the chance and I didn't want to miss out it was only my second time ever seeing them in like 11 years. Yeah. I'm not mad about the new album, but I want it to be there. But I was just in this weird mode where like nothing they did could have got through to me. I couldn't connect to the show. And I felt like I was at a party with 4,999 <laughs> other people who were having a great time. And I genuinely, genuinely was having a horrific time. That's so. awful. Mm, yeah. And that's weird. It's not their fault. Yeah. And like when the album came out, it just wasn't. Like what it, the tone of what Vampire Weekend are doing at the moment just always seems to hit you at the wrong time. That's, <laughs> it's like, that's like, weird. That's, yeah, like, like not to double down. But that was a massive. Maybe yeah, you know, it was their fault uh, so, <laughs> because it, it was so overbearingly weird. upbeat and Sinister polite. Forces, yeah, and like the crowd, they were, will rub you the wrong way if you're not completely on board. And the like. crowd were really like bothering me as well. Like I mean, even Hannah Hunt, a song that I adore, which I thought was a bit flat anyway. Um, well, there's any slower bits while they were like really well performed. You could feel the crowd getting restless, yeah. even when they were well-known songs. It yeah. was just like it wasn't That's high true. energy. People were chatting, but also like yeah. even like during Hannah Hunt, it was yeah, people were chatting, and I was kind of like, oh man, I want to just tune into this. This is just the one bit. Give me this one bit, please. Yeah. And then there was a couple in front of me, and the girl kept kissing the guy's neck, which was gross. And then like she started hopping when the chorus came in, and like just missed my foot by a second. And I was like, hit me, give me a fucking teleportation device now, please. <laughs> it was the worst mosh pit I've seen in my entire life. You're an a punk, like <laughs> embarrassing. Which I think my mother was in. Did you see my ma? I didn't see <laughs> your ma. She was hopping up and down. And she had the time. For life, <laughs> and she's like, I know all these songs. I'm like, how? I'm excluding her from the narrative <laughs> yeah. here. She's allowed to do what she wants Did to do. Did you catch the support, King Kavanagh? No, I barely got in on time. Yeah, I got about 20 minutes. It was very good. Was it? Um, yeah, okay. yeah, I was intrigued. Um, you so loved it. I had a great. T- so you're saying the t- opening 20 minute version of Sunflower? What the fuck? Song was you that? already disliked, didn't put you in the mood. <laughs> the, the, the set literally opened as like the Vampire Weekend turned into Yes before my very eyes. Yeah, in which well, they, they played. He's doing a lot of jam band stuff. Like he's mad into the Grateful Dead, as we talked about. Now, it really came like, across. Yeah. Two hour set, which is very generous, and you can't really fault it. There was a weird moment towards the end where they were like, they said, oh, we're going to play up to the curfew because you haven't been here for a long time, which felt staged. And they were like, uh, hey, you guys in the crowd, yeah, you guys, give us a song to play and we'll play it. Yeah. And they shouted out for Yeah, hey. And Ezra was like, no, no. he's giving up the gun. No, but they, they oh, originally said, Yeah, yeah hey. sorry. Yeah, and, yeah. and Ezra was like, No, no we're already going to play that. Like, give us another one. And yes, then they said, yeah, Giving yeah. up the gun, which they're like, You want to do giving up the gun, guys? And then yeah, they just launched it in a while. Yeah. And I'm like, Perfect. Like, <laughs> just immaculate. I like, will say, so it definitely. made me go back to that song on that album, and I like it a lot more. But anyway, look, I'm going to stop talking now because you're a big fan, and I think you had a great time that I didn't have. So. Yeah.
Yeah, I mean, I feel like what they're doing with the live performance at the moment are pretty special. They've really kind of bolstered the band. It's a seven-piece now. Um, the two original Chris's are like back on board, having not been on the albums. And they were having the times of their life as well. Like Chris Bayo was just grooving away to all the tunes he had no hand in. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> just like jump on at the end and be like, yeah, I'm enjoying this. Um, I thought it was a great set. It was a real kind of crowd pleaser, yeah. Um, but it was just so well picked, I thought, in terms of set list. Great energy. Again, yeah, certain moments didn't quite work. I don't know if it was the setting or the kind of crowd that was drawn by the Summer Series thing of just like, yeah, we'll go to Trinity. And yeah, I know, A-Punk, you know what I mean? It's that kind of problem. Yeah, conflicted with the setting because like, actually the sound was excellent. Yeah, it was. I was concerned earlier in the day because it was massively windy. For kind of a bespoke venue in a way. And I, I, I will say I got a real kick out of... Like for like the sun shining down and like first of all like Dublin buses going by in the background was kind of nice and then also like every now and then like a majestic seagull would fly yeah. over the stage in time <laughs> with what Ezra was saying and I was like that's funny yeah. um, the close with Walcott which is a fucking tune when they do like yeah hey and he has that spoken word bit where it's just like at the festival grounds the single like it's he just you know he loves doing that at every festival show <laughs> um, I thought it was great yeah it was flawless a good birthday for me. Yeah, happy birthday, by the way. Yeah. I forgot it was your birthday. No, it was grand. I changed all my social media stuff so it didn't have my date of birth because I knew there'd be notifications. So no one in work would know. It was great. <laughs> yeah. No one knew all day. No, I, I, I remembered day. it. <laughs> I remembered it organically. I think it was like two days later. I was like, I think that was his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, grand. So, uh, No Popcorn Episode 6, which is Rocket Man, is out now in your podcast feeds. Go get it. As for the news this week, there's plenty of it. Yeah. Taylor Swift has been giving out again in an impassioned Tumblr post. Is there any other kind? <laughs> <laughs> she uh, has given out about Scooter Braun, which is a real name. That name again is Scooter Braun, because I was kind of clearing my throat there. Uh, his media holding company as of Sunday last week, Ithaca Holdings LLC, announced its acquisition of Taylor Swift's former label, Big Machine Label Group, to the tune of $300 million. Craig, how does this affect her? Um, so essentially it affects her masters it's her previous label um, it's, she has no control over them now um, she says in her Tumblr kind of post that this was her worst case scenario um, all I could think about was the incessant manipulative bullying I've received at Scooter's hands for years um, basically saying that he stripped uh, her of her life's work and he's tried to dismantle her musical legacy um, she's kind of made these accusations about what he did when they kind of worked together and now she's just saying that essentially everything she's done up to this point is in his hands um, yeah and um, the entire music community came out to support her right wrong <laughs> a lot of people came out to defend Scooter Braun and admonish Swift and yeah. chief among them was Justin Bieber who responded to her on Instagram post where he defended Scooter Braun uh, he started off kind of nicely and then kind of like turned a bit and I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs from this because I thought it was insanely brilliantly passive aggressive in Machiavellian <laughs> uh, Justin Bieber said Scooter has had your back since the days that you graciously let me open up for you as the years have passed we haven't crossed paths and gotten to communicate our differences hurts or frustrations so for you to take it to social media and get people to hate on Scooter isn't fair what were you trying to accomplish by posting that blog seems to me like it was to get sympathy you also knew that in posting that your fans would go after and bully Scooter anyway one thing I know is that both Scooter and I love you I feel like the only way to resolve conflict is through communication so banter back and forth online I don't believe solves anything I'm sure Scooter and I would love to talk to you and resolve any conflicts pain or any feelings need to be addressed neither Scooter or I have anything negative to say about you we truly want the best for you oh my god I usually don't I usually don't rebuttal things like this but when you try and deface someone I love as character that's crossing a line 
Yeah, and she had said in <laughs> so horrible. She talked in the post about um, Justin Bieber posting during the whole kind of um, you know tit tatting with King Perlashin and Kanye about the um, the lines and famous. He, he posted this photo of himself, Kanye, and Scooter, and was just like, "What's up, Taylor?" And it was kind of. She was saying this was, you know, hugely aggressive bullying from the three of them. And he was saying, well, actually, they didn't know about the caption. It was just me. Um, she also mentioned Kanye's video for Famous um, and called it revenge porn, um, which it just it featured a kind of um, a, a replica of her naked, along with lots of other famous figures. It didn't seem to focus on her whatsoever. It was just this kind of arty, not a great video, but a nice idea. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> nice idea, says Craig Fitzpatrick. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's been a lot of. Was a nice idea. There's been a lot yeah, of, of here. Like you know, she kind of at the center of her argument was that she didn't have the chance to buy her own masters back. She learned about the deal through the media. Um, and there's been a lot of people um, in Scooter's camp that have come out and said that actually she had every opportunity to buy back the masters, and she had been alerted to the fact that the deal had gone through prior to it being known in the media. Um, I think it went. The message was sent to her phone um, and her dad as a shareholder would have known anyway um, so there's some, there's some kind of awkward things though as well is that like Borchetta did send her a text message at one point but when he sent it it was 9pm in the evening where he was but that's technically 3am where she is so technically she probably did wake up to the news and then saw yes, the text yeah, yeah, yeah. but I mean the problem here is is that she wrote this Tumblr post like a couple of hours after the news came out which means that it was probably done in a pretty passionate moment like feeling very betrayed and stuff um i think she, in terms of like w- like whether she's right or wrong i mean she should she should have a chance to actually buy her her masters back which she doesn't technically get because there's some sort of crazy deal that she had to do where she had to like make an album and she'd earn an album back so yeah it would take about 10 years to get everything back again um but at the same time you know like I don't know if it is intentional. Whose side are you on? It's really hard to know. Well, to be honest, like I am, I'm definitely loath as well to side with you know a record label or someone that's been in control of someone's yeah. career from an early it's age. Business I mean, deal. That's, yeah, but we know the business oh, listen, of mate. show <laughs> is I mean, a grim place at times. The weird thing with the, with the big machine label is that like if you go through their roster, I mean Taylor Swift is a hundred miles higher than every single other person there. So uh, the Reba McIntyre, put, put some respect <laughs> on that name. Ra- main, Rascal Flats. The, <laughs> <laughs> the main assets are Taylor Swift's like back catalogue. So like that was the reason why it has that price tag. On oh yeah, it. yeah, big time. Um, yeah, and I mean, to be fair now as well, I mean, if Borchetta was being the, the original owner of the label, like, he probably should have, out of a kind of a loyalty or an honour, like, probably contacted her while that yeah, was going on. I because, agree. like, it seems crazy, like, crazy that he wouldn't know of all the back history of all this kind of stuff. And it um, just seems a bit... Yeah, and I think when we talk so often about, you know, praising the likes of Frank Ocean of di- enta- disentangling himself from that kind of machine mm-hmm. and how every artist should really have full creative control over the, the stuff they've produced. Yeah. The fact that... Taylor isn't really going about stuff in a great way and she's kind of lashing out at people that we like. We, you know, we should somewhat be on her side. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a deal <laughs> that, that she... I was so begrudging. This is, this is a deal... At the end of the day, this is a deal that she signed at 15 years old. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So yeah. it was obviously a mistake that she's she is paying for, I guess, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, and it, again, it does open up that kind of thing where, like, you know, Hopefully, this kind of stuff will raise the idea that people should be not signing deals where you give away your entire master. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think um, it's interesting because at the end of it, it says, you know, 
Taylor has signed with Universal Music Group and Republic Records last year. And in her letter, she says, Thankfully, I'm now signed to a label that believes I should own anything I create, which, as pointed out by a friend of the show, Colm Regan, is kind of hilarious that she's like, Oh, I'm, I'm safe now. Uh, I hope no random fire <laughs> breaks out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> destroys. Like, How about you just keep the masters in your house as opposed to in our house? Because our fucking place is a yeah, fucking. Fuel yeah. slevelin with you. <laughs> Next up in the music journalists are scum debate Jack White, who spoke to the Irish Times this week. He's not mad at them he's mad at people who took stories from it because that's what happens you get a long interview somewhere else you break it down for you know bite-sized news stories it's, it's the way of the world guys it's how it works I've done it myself not to Jack White though thankfully I'm not on this list uh, essentially <laughs> not yet not yet um, I hate Biden. there's a new Raconteurs album out there uh, which I haven't got which, which I haven't got hyped. which I haven't gotten to because I don't think I'm really into their brand of bluesy shite but um, he first album's good first album's great he spoke with I think it was Lauren Murphy and he said when Brendan Benson gave, a, gave up alcohol I started doing heroin so that delayed things Spin then reported on this and used the headline the raconteurs in the album was delayed because Jack White started doing heroin and Jack White wasn't pleased about that he made a rare personal statement on social media saying Dear Spin on Instagram I've never done heroin or any other legal drug in my life and anyone close to me could confirm this if you'd actually read the article in full you could see I was joking but I suppose Spin never lets the facts get in the way of good clickbait but that wasn't enough he went on to criticise the music press at large including Stereogum for clickbait and said Dear Pitchfork Stereogum Noisy and the rest of the trash quote unquote music cough quote unquote journalism sites <laughs> though I realise that you work in the business of soundbites and clickbait and that you're pissed the third man records didn't send you a free copy of the new Raconteurs album because of how nasty you are. Here's a couple of other notes. I don't hate all people who own cell phones or never allow one near me or hate all technology, etc. And then he went on a big rant about how he's been taken out of context several times, which is definitely true. But it's also one of the things where, once again, music journalists are being painted as, you know, the, the enemy. And Yeah, um, he did mention the enemy. Um, but I've, I feel like he's making a clear distinction in fairness to him, right? Because he's clearly got no gripe with the Irish Times Lauren Murphy, uh, he's saying, you know, if you looked at the piece, he's saying, that, you know, the piece is quality, it, the context is there, and he's pointing out kind of trash music journalism sites. I guess maybe his issue is with the social media thing and just sensationalism. Yeah, and headlines are tricky. So black and white. Headlines are tricky stemming off the back of it. And in fairness, I mean, like, I would be on his side when it comes to most of this, and especially when it comes to the idea of, like, Read the fucking article. <laughs> like, yes. you know, read the long interview that someone has worked hard on and done and shaped in a certain way. And if you are going to take a headline-grabbing section of it, at least provide the requisite context. And I think, you know, Spin in their uh, very grabby headline did have quote marks around that. And, you know, like, ultimately, you have got room as a journalist then to explain, you know, obviously in a very jovial way, White kind of batted this to the side. But, yeah. you know, not, not everybody does that. So I think, you know, it's the rare exception where, like, I think he actually has a point. Uh, but also it is the state of modern media. And the problem is that an awful lot of people uh, just don't read past the fucking headlines. Yeah. So it's understandable why he would be a little bit upset about this. Now, there's no excuse, however, I don't think, for the next Irish music uh, uh, journalism thing that caused an international uproar, <laughs> uh, which is our old friends, Hot Press Magazine. Who else? Ed Power back in the dock. <laughs> you might remember Ed Power from certain uh, incidents such as this year's Choice Music Prize Wyvern Lingo debacle yeah. and probably several others. I don't fucking know. Oh, the, Ken the, the Kendrick Lamar thing last year when yes. his review of Kendrick Lamar during Electric Picnic was up in the middle of his set. Very good journalism there, Ed. Um, so Interpol frontman Paul Banks, he of not singing very well at Glastonbury fame, recently discussed his band's decision to tour with Morrissey in an interview with Hot Press as it says 
here in Pitchfork, Ed Powers, yeah, plural. Yeah. Uh, we thought it'd be a good show for our band, Banks is quoted as saying. That's how I'm looking at it. I don't get too much into the other stuff. Seems innocuous enough. Not a great <laughs> statement, I wouldn't say. But then, on the 1st of July, on Craig's birthday, no less, on Twitter, <laughs> <laughs> Paul Banks. And Ruth Van Isteroy. Uh, wow, that's pretty yeah, good. The late lady die. Jesus, Aww. okay. Uh, it's shown off now. <laughs> Paul Banks went to Twitter and said that he was misquoted by Hot Press Magazine and Ed Power. The actual quote that I gave regarding the upcoming Mars tour was, we thought it would be a good show for our fans, not for our band, he posted, which is still not a great fucking defence. No, I was going to say, this is semantics in the extreme, isn't it? Banks then said, I don't always hold the same beliefs as artists that I work with, and I do not consider that to be a prerequisite. I abhor racism, homophobia, and any form of prejudice based on the person's nationality, race, ethnicity, religion, gender, gender, education, or socioeconomic status. Uh, hot press, uh, hit back, as only hot press could. Yeah, they saw their opportunity and they posted the audio clip of uh, Mr. Banks answering Ed's, I guess it was a question. It wasn't but a question. He, just kind of stumbled, he was like, so Mar- this Morrissey thing, I don't care, do you care? Do people care? I don't know. And then Paul Banks was like, I should probably say something now. <laughs> he said these things and yeah, Hot Press essentially said, judge for yourself, is it kind of fans, is it banned? Um, oh, it was it was, it was just such a kind of really really embarrassing, and it was just very much like very try uh, hard. It was like it was typical. It was like oh, like, you know, this is this is controversial. Clumsily let's, trying to yeah, let's seize get some, the moment. Let's get some <laughs> clicks. We're relevant now, and it was relevant this week. And then it was like uh, yeah, including the audio, which has Ed stammering all over and nothing question, and Paul Banks kind of being like yeah, whatever. It's very small. Time. And then when they were saying like oh, they're uh, they're they're UK and European PR arm have been on to us asking us to to amend the quote, and we have. But what do you think? Oh, they had. <laughs> yeah. So, they, but like so they're saying, yeah, it, well, it is. What, you just say <laughs> fans. This, boil, <laughs> this boils down to our journalists fucked up. Here's the audio. <laughs> it's a tough one, though, in fairness. I can see why he thought it was one thing, but. Yeah, like, I mean, when it went to the, the overriding kind of fact around here, though, as well, is that, like, he put up the that statement on Twitter and underneath that statement it's just like loads and loads of people going like don't go on tour with Marcy like we literally don't want to see you Interpol with Marcy yeah. and there's fans from Interpol basically refusing to go to this Interpol, this particular Interpol show so yeah. maybe not so great for the fans <laughs> you know I, mean? I mean yeah his um his statement wasn't the best at all like when he's coming out and saying you know I respect both sides left and right it's like what what are you talking about you respect some of the stuff Marcy's been saying and you can't really get away from you can't just say well putting on a good show and you can't you're you're giving him a platform yeah. or you're kind of I've you know for it's my quite, it's quite surprising as well that Interpol as big as they are would be supporting Mars you get those yeah. weird kind of you get those weird kind of runs I think it just depends on different territories yeah. or whatever and I mean ultimately you know probably getting well paid for it but like yeah, I for my sins I went and listened to the audio and I'm pretty sure he says fans. Do, yeah. I can understand people might think the other one, but I'm pretty sure he says fans. It makes more sense, first of all, because hilariously, like if, if if the first quote is the true quote, he sounds like a fucking Bond villain. Well it's a good show for the band. <laughs> good show for the old bank account. Don't you agree? Like what why why would he even say that? So yeah, embarrassing uh, for pretty much everybody involved. Uh Morrissey not out of the news this week though, Craig. <laughs> Yeah, I just thought this was funny how just any mention of the, of Morrissey in any musician's mouth is just liable to get them cancelled now. Um, so Brandon Flowers, um, I'm not sure if it was before, yeah it was, it was before his um, win in Glastonbury set, uh, but he was talking about, uh, you know, Johnny Marr making a guest appearance. Um, he was talking about influences over the years, people that he called his kings, 
which are about 15 in number. I uh, said, so like Liam Gallagher, Don Henley, Peter Gabriel, Morrissey would be a king, Bono would be a king. <laughs> oh at this point, the interviewer brought up Morrissey's deplorable politics, <laughs> to which Flowers replied, he's still a king. He's unparalleled in what he's achieved in his prowess and his lyrics and his sense of melody. It's just incredible. I forgot he was in hot water, though, so I shouldn't have brought him up. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, Morrissey's official Twitter account shared the interview as well. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and then slightly in comparison, Nick Cave wrote a quite yeah. thoughtful piece. The only person who, who can solve this whole thing is Nick yeah, Cave. Yeah, <laughs> he, he he's been doing a thing recently where he kind of answers fans questions with thoughtful kind of long form answers um, and he basically made the case for being able to separate the art from the artist which is something we've been discussing a lot in recent months and he, he talks about how the proprietorship of a song um, should really go to the fans once it's released to the public that's how he feels about his yeah, own songs so the music should be owned by the fans yeah and he says we all lose something if such incredible Smith songs are kind of lost to, to, to time whilst we should still be challenging his um you know, views and is the fact that he's prone to lunacies. Yeah, you know, one song that he kind of decided there was "Last Night I Dreamt That Somebody Loved Me," which I was like, "That is one of the best songs ever written." Oh, like, it really is. The Smith songs just are. <laughs> <laughs> it's exceptional. Yeah, so I don't know. The art from the artist debate will always piss people off. Even having that debate pisses people off. I thought Nick Cave summed it up very, very well, yeah. and I'm, like defeated Taylor Swift as well. In the same <laughs> <laughs> Look, just bring in Nick Cave. Doesn't own your music like the fans do. <laughs> he, he did oh play. Israel. He did play Israel though. So he's already cancelled. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't play. He played his own music, which is yeah, actually the yeah, fans' yeah, yeah. music. So it's he all was good. Just a conduit. You know? He's a vessel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's amazing. So if you if you put out like a like an alt right anthem, you're like, well, it's not mine it's anymore. Not mine. It's like, it's if anything, if people misconstrue yeah. it as left wing, that's their problem. If it appears in your Spotify most played at the end of the year, well, I think you're <laughs> the problem here, sir. Uh, delighted after a very very long time on Owen Court to finally welcome back Rory Lynch, aka Bantam Corkman, producer friend and uh, <laughs> Dolly and I uh, had a chat with him in Dolly's home studio a couple of weeks ago he's got a rake of new music out all of which is worth checking out but first please enjoy his dulcet tones Welcome back to the show, man. It's been a very long Woo. time. Hey, clap, thank you. Clap, clap. Yeah. It's been a lo- yeah. How long has it? It's been like two years or something. I think it? you were a guest on the third or the fourth episode. If wow. memory serves, it's it's that long ago, yeah. And now I'm the team tune, which is cool. Yeah. See, that's actually a good place to start. So yeah, people often ask. We often get tweets and the occasional email. Uh, no letters, though. No way. People, no letters. Okay. People no saying, letters. "What's the amazing theme music on the show?" And I just kind of take it for granted. Like, I mean, I, I shout out every the end of every episode by shouting out our sonic architect Eve. And I should probably also be like, "And thank you very much to Bantam for the music." So the opening chords of No Encore, not originally, but from season two onwards, and we've threatened to replace it, but then we realized now we can't. I think it's uh, perfect. Like, I think it is perfect. It yeah, it. is move by Bantam and. The song has basically been ruined. I like, completely <laughs> fucked it up, so I'm sorry. Well, I, you know, as I said to you on Twitter, it's yours now, you know? <laughs> you can have it. It's your problem. It's like Trent Reznor giving John, Johnny Cash hurt. Like, like, I'm not ready for that pressure. And or I'm about to die. What are, like, because I listen to you guys all the time and I had this, I put this on going to bed one night and when that started, I was lying in bed and we subconsciously went into gig mode. I was like, oh shit, I gotta, <laughs> gotta get able to not, uh, why am I, why am I, what's going on? But, um, it's yeah, it's cool. I, I, 
I love that you're still you're still using it, you know. Could so you? yeah, that like of course was the title track off a terrific album, a choice nominated, a choice prize nominated record. Uh, that comes out, you know, got a lot of attention. I know it was a huge moment for you. I hope you don't mind me saying that we were out on the night of the nomination. Your bike got stolen, and you were like, "It's fine, I'll take yeah, the trade." Yeah, that that popped in my head. I was <laughs> I completely forgot about that until last week. I, was, I started laughing. Yeah, so. Well, I was in work that day and I got my phone exploded and um, just with all these notifications to say I'd been nominated. So I got onto you and Mick and we all went to Bison Bar for a pint. No way. So I cycled. I like, I just <laughs> boosted all the way to, to Bison Bar and lo- I think I locked my bike. I don't think I actually did in hindsight. I think I was so excited. I just put, left my bike outside <laughs> Bison Bar. So we went in for loads of pints and... Um, I should note, by the way, that this was after work. Like it sounds like it was, it yeah. like two o'clock. You get the notification, and you're like, "Well, I'm off." <laughs> you drop everything <laughs> straight to the phone. It's like Rory shaped cloud. See you yeah. later. Kind yeah. of thing <laughs> no, it was all very formal. But yeah, like I remember you leaving, and it was like, "What a great day he's had." And then he came back in two seconds later, and we're like, "Yeah, bike's gone." Yeah, well, like if there was one day for my bike to be nicked, it would have been that day because yeah. I really didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, you struggled with bikes. I know, like you were you're often targeted. Yeah, I've had about five bikes nicked since. Since, since, yeah, yeah, it's just all these stupid turns of events. Um, Do you have particularly like good-looking bikes? Do you use like really, really fancy? I go bikes? for really exotic bikes. Yeah, 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 yeah. really like, flashy bright, bikes, bright like. neon, you know, with like <laughs> uh, Mercedes signs on them and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Please steal me. I'm yeah. really asking for it. Really. So. Was this strictly a Dublin thing? Because of course you've moved back home. Um, I haven't, I haven't been on a bike since. <laughs> <laughs> That sounded bad, but um, yeah, I do because like when I was in Dublin, I cycled everywhere. Yeah, like I'd cycle to gigs, you know, uh, and leave the bike chained up outside the venue. This time, not yeah. stolen, not, not stolen, because <laughs> like, I could just put my gear into a backpack and just hop in. I remember going supporting um, who was it, Chet Faker in the Academy, and I cycled to that gig. <laughs> And I just did it and put my stuff in my backpack and cycled home again, you know? Amazing. And now you've sold out, you're killing the planet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gaskell's and Carl. Sorry, guys. Has there been much of a difference, though? Because I know, like, I mean, you were, got eight or nine years in Dublin, were you? You were uh, a long time, right? I was, yeah, 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And then, so then you, you moved back to Cork? Moved back to Cork. And how has that changed for you? Was it? I'm still adjusting, you mm. know? Um, my last year in Dublin was the year I, I was no- nominated for that choice prize. Yeah. And... It was an amazing year, but also I was kind of at the end of my tether in terms of work. Like I was really stressed out. Um, I was on stress leave. Uh, I was nearly, I was close to my second run of it by the time I'd left Dublin. So I was just exhausted. I was Mm. wrecked and I wanted a change. So um, I kind of, I felt like it was the time to to go back to Cork and and just give it a chance. So yeah, yeah, it's been great. Uh, Like it's, it's a slower pace of life back home um i'm close to my family which is great yeah um and i got a I got a good job down there as well whereas in dublin i, I really like towards the end of it i would struggled with it mm. and i kind of overstayed my welcome there i i felt you know yeah. i was there a bit too long it's kind of, it's, though, yeah. yeah it's kind of an interesting thing as well though because i mean i've read in interviews with you before say the second half of your career has been a lot of this this is quite similar to me with the yeah. like the um working with other artists basically and mm. collaborating with other people and i think you've probably gotten a lot out of say the dublin music scene and coming up through that while you were here right massively yeah and like while i've been working on all these releases that you're hearing now that's off the back of me driving up to dublin from cork you know i do that nearly yeah. every weekend for the last 
six months to be in the studio with people so, so you're driving up to dublin every weekend to work with whatever i was doing that yeah yeah i've, I've cut that down now because it was just getting insane and i, I was getting exhausted <laughs> you know yeah. i was just listening to no encore all the time <laughs> the way but, even uh, i wouldn't recommend that <laughs> you gotta take a break <laughs> it's interesting though because i mean I, I guess with the job thing i remember having those conversations with you at the time and i remember you, yeah. were, you were getting to stage where you're quite miserable and i mean like the thing is, it's a bit of a cliche with a lot of Irish musicians, I think with yourself in particular, where like, mm. I'm like, he's like the, just the nicest guy. Like, you know, like you're just a fucking sound dude. And it was just really, it was really Thank upsetting you. to kind of see you in that kind of zone. And like, to be fair, man, like, I mean, a lot of people don't take that leap. A lot of people don't actually have enough self-worth to kind of say, well, look, fuck this. Like, I'm not my job. Like, I'm not, this isn't yeah. my entire life. And for you, a very creative person as well, I know how stifled you were. So like, it was, it, it was sad for you to leave Dublin yeah but i'm really glad to see you in like in good spirits yeah i'm definitely i'm noticing it now coming back to dublin and people are commenting on how i literally look different or something you know <laughs> so it's, it's, the, it's been good it's the mullet i think it's it's the it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's the bangs guys it's the bangs. <laughs> but um yeah no i definitely feel a lot better now um since i moved moved back to cork you know um again like it was good just to be near the family and um like like my parents were great um, around that time it was mad the week i was nominated for the choice prize i was in the doctor uh being told to take the next month off work you know so Fuck. yeah <laughs> so like i just had to go home and yeah, and, yeah. and uh, shout out to my parents like they were fantastic yeah. uh, uh, you know i was able to c- gather my thoughts and put together a band and a set for the uh, yeah because live show this is the thing that yeah. I would ask you as well I mean so you get nominated for something like that I would say the immediate reaction is I have to seize this opportunity because it's massively important yeah right? I wasn't just going to go up there and do a, you know a DJ set on steroids yeah. which is what I usually do you know mm-hmm. I wanted to put together a band yeah. so there was that initial excitement but also uh, terror at having to go to Vicker Street and play in front of the entire Irish music industry live mm-hmm. on radio you know but <laughs> It worked, you know, I got like, like Loa was great to me. Um, Farah El was fantastic. Tommy mm. Gray from Bark, he was on drums. He was, he, he nailed it. Like he, he really brought an, another level to my tracks yeah, yeah. on that night. And it was mad. Like when, when I went up and played, there was no nerves. It, it was just completely easy. I was chatting to the, yeah, the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Is it because you had kind of trust in the people you were playing with? Definitely, and like, yeah. yeah. And we, we put the work in for the, yeah. the weeks prior you of course know? Yeah, yeah um so i was literally just not thinking up there yeah. it, was, it was fantastic because yeah. I've, I've been doing the band stuff myself as well and yeah i think we're both quite similar in how we kind of play live and stuff as well yeah definitely. so i always find it quite interesting that the more trust you and the more stuff that you give to other artists on a stage the more you can actually enjoy the gig itself like yes. I, i've had way more fun playing with a band because i can concentrating less right yeah like, yeah because it's, you put a lot of pressure on yourself as a as a mm. producer when you're on your own but when you're you're kind of handing off a lot of the responsibility to other people it just becomes a lot more fun right it is and you get you get to bounce off them you yeah. know like i yeah. used to I, some of the best gigs i've ever done were with jer mangan from 10 past seven on drums mm. And the two of us, like we, we put together this heavy set. It was almost like death grips or something like that. You know, like I go really hard. And Jer is the loudest drummer on the planet. Um, like there's evidence of that. It's on Spotify, actually. We did a gig at Mabos, which is now the Airbnb yeah. HQ or whatever. Good, but yeah. um, we, when we sound checked, it was an empty warehouse. And he was so loud that uh, nobody could hear me, you know. <laughs> so we were terrified. We were like, oh, no, we're, we're, like this is going to sound awful. And there was nobody in there. 
And we, we went out for like a pint and some pizza and it was like our last meal or something. The two of us are so like, <laughs> we're like, oh, we're going to, it's good. We're, we're over. It's done, you know. Uh, so, and then we went in and we did the set and it was, it was a full house. Uh, so the sound just kind of enveloped us, you know, so you could hear me perfectly yeah. with Jer and everyone was like going nuts. It, it was unreal. Um, and it, we managed to get a recording of it. Like my friend Tony Fitz was um, the engineer on the night and he got that. So we just yeah. threw it on Spotify. One of the things I find really interesting is that like even just the fact that you have a live drummer on stage is a, is a massive help when you're playing live because it's it's just such an active instrument to have behind you and the sounds of live drums are really really like amazing and I'm yeah. really really into it currently at the moment and actually oh. like I did a remix for you and it was the first time I used kind of live drum samples to build like the beats yeah, underneath and yeah. stuff and your new track obviously with God Knows and Farrell and Ben Bix that has like a kind of a very the drums on that feel like a very live kind of drum feel as well. Right? Yeah, they're all like they're individual drum hits. Yeah, uh, but it, put together, it sounds as like a, yeah, it sounds loop. like a full. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so I think the interesting thing though is like I mean to kind of like for I guess for both of you because even before you kind of you know kind of had that kind of mirror there for a second, I was like, <laughs> but no, no, by all means, I'll, like I'll just leave. Like, like, and also, not only that, but I'm like, I used to play live drums in a band. <laughs> No one's asking me to. I was going to bring you in, Dave. It's fine. But I mean, it's a case of like, I mean, I think I've certainly like from my kind of point of view, like, I mean, as someone who I don't I I don't have the fucking the nuance to properly, you know, do music journalism about dance music. I just don't know enough about it. I'm not educated enough. I see people like people like Owen Murray, like from the thin air, who's gone on to DJ Mag and, you know, like that guy knows what he's talking about. You know, like like I read his stuff and I get educated by it. Mm. Um, But I so I, I think for guys like you who are like solo and like the the tag DJ probably comes along when it doesn't apply at all. Yeah, because you both time. like you're both producers, obviously, and you both kind of have a band mentality. Particularly you, Rory, because like you're a fucking guitar geek. Like I mean, like this is known. Like, but no, but you're like you're big into your metal bands. You're big into Prince. Yeah, and I course, but yeah. I remember specifically like and for sure a move has textures of it without question. But I remember specifically you were talking about your desire to kind of go back to that well. Yeah. And I guess even going back to Cork, it feels like it's part of it. And the new track, as Dahi has talked about, even the stuff you're doing with Lowe, I know you're working on a whole bunch of stuff after a bit of a hiatus, I guess. Yeah. But it does seem like, to not fucking beat the cliche into the ground, it does seem like you're going back to your roots in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. And that, that was the intention with Move. You know, I, I was going back to all the electronic stuff that got me into electronic music, which is music from the 90s and early 2000s, I guess. Like uh, Chemical Brothers... Uh, randomly, my dad bought a Propeller Heads album, and I still go back to that. You know, Dex and Drums and Rock and Roll was the name yeah, of it. Yeah. And it was this mad mix. I mean, they, it had a Shirley Bassey song in it, but it also had these like jungle breaks in it and stuff like that. And I'd never heard that before. So I, I, I went back to all, a lot of these albums, like Left Field as well, early Daft Punk, early Beastie Boys as well, and NWA as well. Like there was a lot of, a, a lot of the production techniques that Dr. Dre used on those albums, like the way he uses hi hats with, with, drum samples and stuff I brought that in but yeah that was with Move I wanted to go back and going back to Cork as well I'm physically going going back there you know and with this stuff that I'm releasing now it's kind of a mix of everything it's a mix mm. of um, like as you said they've Prince with um, the hip hop elements that I've worked with uh, God knows over the last couple of years you know mixing in Beastie Boys elements 
I'm also like, going back to like you guys talked about it on a recent podcast with Jay Paul. He's a he's a guy I'm obsessed with. He yeah. he commented on my MySpace page, and I don't have any proof of it. <laughs> I swear this because is of course it's all gone. Now, yeah, he, he, what did he say? Again? Like, feeling this track or whatever he said. But I was like, just, I get at, the, at the time, yeah, I get three words: get the, get get them tattooed. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. cross your fucking neck. <laughs> but like he he was a huge influence when I started, and it's funny that he's just released re-released that stuff now. And I'm, I was listening to it on the way into you guys today, and it still sounds. It amazing. just sounds up. But the yeah. the weird thing that I was thinking about the last day, just so when we were when we kind of started doing production, there was a real big culture of like playing live electronic stuff on stage. So there was guys like you, guys like yeah. Toby Carr, um, and then it the, the felt like there was like a bit of a dip after a while where people weren't doing the same thing that we were doing for a long time, and there was kind of like a less. It was less popular, I guess, and people yeah. got into DJing more. But I'm noticing now more and more that like this kind of like a solo producer creating stuff and like like releasing it themselves there seems to be a huge amount of people doing it i mean we're talking about royal yellow for instance mm. Kobina, yourself me like how do you feel like in terms of the irish music scene right now there seems to be a kind of an an uptick of like producers kind of building their own music and releasing it themselves and doing the whole thing definitely yeah i mm. think just the just the irish music scene in general is just thriving you know yeah. there's, there's so much like when I moved to Dublin, I remember the it, it was all uh, post rock. It was um, and so I watched it from afar. Yeah, at a BC Shank, I remember going to those gigs and stuff. And then that kind of dipped off. And then yeah, we started getting together. That kind of came about. And then now things are getting real um, hip hop. There's a lot of soul, a lot of R and B. Yeah. You know, uh, like Diffusion uh, label. They have a lot, mm-hmm. lot to do with this. Like they're very influential at the moment. Yeah. What, their, what their output is amazing. You know. I'm loving seeing all these Twitter notifications of new uh, tracks yeah, that are coming out weekly at the moment, you know, and and then you've got the likes of Girlband who are, who are who are making their their resurgence, I guess, you know, and, and they're just consistently blowing my mind um, with what they do. Uh, it, it's great. The, the diversity of what we're seeing now in Irish music is really inspiring to me, anyway. Mm. You know, and it's it's uh, I'm, I'm just glad that I've I've kept at it for all these years well, that's the know? thing i mean like you like you've come back in you're, you're kind of coming back in at a time when the conversation is especially lively but i don't know if there was ever like a decision on your end to take a break I, when i made when i was making move when i put move out i was like fuck this i'll just put this out make a bunch of tunes that i like and that's it i, I seriously thought like look i'll just get it out there and go to college or study or something for the next year and then with, I think that I released that in October and then in January it was nominated for the Choice Prize and then all that that happened so good you know so choice, the Choice Prize the Choice Awards whatever that was in March 2017 and then in April 2017 I, I was massively inspired and that's when I wrote the what would become April Brave like in the two years since uh, I haven't been on a hiatus I've been really really busy you know if I'm quiet I'm busy Mm. Um, that's, that's the way I think, you know, and so April Brave came about and that started a whole new process. You know, I went to, um, Joe Furlong, who's, he's, I guess he's best known as the bass player for James Vincent McMorrow, but he's, he's an amazing musician, um, arranger and person in his own right. So I really wanted straight from the bat to work with other people straight off instead Mm. of just isolating myself, which is another issue I have with music production. And you know yourself, Dahi, you, you just spend so much time alone. Yeah, it's a very solo thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really wanted to just sit in a studio with people this time, um, as opposed to being on my own um, in my room, working on a laptop, yeah. you know? So yeah. that's, it all started with Joe. Me and Joe were in, in the studio. We worked on April Brave for about a year. Um, and, and we brought Loa in then. Um, 
uh, for the, uh, for the next year then like Loa just um, brought in so many musicians onto this track released an album and it got a huge amount of acclaim and it did really well in terms yeah. of like like how but you seem to be releasing the tracks as separate ones now yeah like myself and loa we, we're talking about this you know this we have an album's worth of material mm. on the on the back burner you know um like sal otherwise known as loa she she wants this to be a mixtape and um so we're still talking about that you know but at the moment like she's in london now she's got this amazing role Saint in uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar Andrew Lloyd Webber like, she's incredible so she's in London right now um, so we're hurrying to get this next single out before she's just totally consumed by this and then when she comes back we'll, we'll see where we're at you know but while, while this is happening yeah I've got the, the God Knows project I've got a project with um, Jack O'Rourke he's a Cork singer-songwriter mm. and I'm really excited about that again that's another different kind of sound to what I'm doing with Loa and with God knows, you know, it, it kind of like working on all these different sounds and different projects brings me back to move or move was like a bunch of, it mixed well, but it, there was a lot of different sounds in there. You know, it kind of went from chemical brothers to John Hopkins to yeah. Prince at times, you know? So what I've been thinking is just separating all these ideas and sounds into different projects. So that's, that's where I'm at now, you know? And on top of that, I'm working on, I'm going to release a track in relation to a short film, um, directed by my friend Jerry Duffy and again it's a totally different track it's really dark heavy Nine Inch Nailsy kind of stuff you know because I have to release, release at least one disgustingly hard going track <laughs> that's um, the contract yeah yeah it is the contract <laughs> I have stipulated with the it. devil <laughs> but I mean like okay but it's probably like a bit balanced though I mean like this yeah. is a, an awful lot of work I know you, you, you've been busy you haven't really stopped in the background but yeah. even just your standard musician work life balance and uh, the reality of, of being this in Ireland in 2019 I mean I don't have the data for this but I do feel like you always see like every year goes by people people quit Mm. bands go artists go life takes over and that there are always a million reasons why i just feel like lately like i'm not seeing as many of those headlines which is great yeah it feels like people are actually kind of sticking to their guns whether they're new whether they're established whether they're whatever yeah yeah. and everyone's trying to like find their fucking perfect little moment or whatever they're trying to get out there yeah but i guess from your point of view i mean even just day to day like i mean like it just sounds like you got like you like you got a lot going on yeah definitely and you know the day job i do is is tough going um but it's it's also great. I actually like in the last year I've learned a lot in this job, you know. And there's a good bunch of people that I'm working with, so that has really helped. I've never been in that in a situation before where I go and do my day job, and I'm like, actually, this isn't this isn't bad, you know. Um, and I know what's going on. Whereas previously, I, I just it I wasn't a good fit for what I was doing in Dublin. I feel you know there was an amazing bunch of people I worked with, but. I think most of the stress and anxiety was coming from I just wasn't sure of where I was going, you know, and and in that I channeled a lot of that into music. So I'm very conscious of that now, um, like going forward, like this year now I'm getting a ton of music out, uh, but there's there's always doubts and you, you always get tired, you always get anxious. So I've got to be, I'm, I'm very aware of that, you know, um, in terms of like mental health, um, physical health as well. I've always been really um, physically active, 
but I do remember in my last year in Dublin, I, that just I just put that by the wayside, and I, like in, unintentionally, I was just getting very very tired, very down because of that. So even listening to you, Dahi, talking about going jogging and stuff like mm. that, you know, I'm, I'm, I do that. I have to be active just to keep going, you know. Yeah. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I mix that with being creative. You know, you have to be creative, be active alongside so many other things to keep above the water, you know. That's, that's how I feel. I know that you're nervous. Third breakdown this week. I'm not talking about the Yaris. I know you're embarrassed. Fake pen, but only when nine hits. Night shifted as a good regrets. Relieve the stress. Yes. Yes. I digress. Got a shirt full of pants. Cause I'm running from the bands when it's all too much to carry. Life without relief is Freddie and Jason. Too scary. Even in the elevator, I still take the stairs. Headphones, no music is the new self-care. I gotta testify. You're a safer menu with the twisty fries. Fanta on J Hus, no ice, car on Terminator. One At the moment, like I have this ton of tracks um, that I'm gonna put out this year. But next year I might I wouldn't say take a break, but just cool down on it, you know? Um, like, because all of these ideas, like, it's these come from the last two years of being inspired and being creative, you know. And I've committed to everything um, in terms of getting them out, which is what you're seeing now. Hmm. Um, and then, like, after that, uh, next year, I'll, I'll see where I'm at. You know, I, I don't think I'll ever, I'll never stop being creative or making music. You know what I mean? But I do have to just manage myself. It's it's almost like talking about an addiction here or something yeah, yeah. like that, you know? <laughs> no, but it is. Like, and, and like uh, the other thing I was going to ask you about as well is it's quite interesting that, like, you know, so you, you've done all this creative stuff and you have all these these tracks that are ready to go, but the, the process of releasing them is, as we both know, just as much work as actually yeah, creating yeah. your stuff, right? Mm. Like, how do you, do you enjoy the actual releasing of stuff or is there a lot of, like, hassle around it or is it stressful as well i do i've, I've always enjoyed it i, I think mm. i'm lucky in that sense yeah. um like in terms of promotion in terms of yeah. uh, because you, know, you have to do it yourself with, obviously because that's, yeah that's works yeah now. yeah uh, although like recently now like god knows he he pushed to bring in sheena madden from amplify right PR, yeah, yeah, you know and yeah, she's yeah. she's working with us and she's great Brilliant. so that's opened my eyes to working with other people you know i mean it, it's not cheap doing doing all this stuff as, mm-hmm. as you know but it does take the weight off time wise you know time is is the big one for me you know um just to to relax and, and to be a normal person you know on, on top of all all that i'm doing and putting out but yeah it, it's something I, i've been thinking about like the last track that i wrote was in january this year and since then i've, I've been in release mode you know all right yeah it's such a thing. or in well not just release mode but it being in studios and just fine-tuning or finishing off tracks but in terms of actually creating new stuff i haven't done that in a long time yeah i mean when you when you work when you want to be a normal human being when you want to assign time to being yourself you gotta you just gotta do that you have to put some of this to one side you know actually on top of that like gigging i don't gig Mm. as much if at all at the moment you know i know like dahi you gig a ton yeah yeah um but like i've consciously cut that down you know, um, was a particular reason for that or uh, time and stress, you know, um, I just fa- I've, I found gigging there in, the, in that year after the choice prize really stressful towards the end of it. Really? Yeah. Just from the, the organizational point point yeah. of view and, and getting there. And also it was, it was every weekend. Yeah. And I was just flat, you know, <laughs> so I still love gigging, but I'm consciously cutting that down now. You know, something has to be put aside Absolutely, in yeah. all of this you know and if you still want to be creative be musical 
but you still work. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel anyway, I have to cut something yeah. down and, and gigging is one thing, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm, I'm definitely conscious of like the, the amount of effort I'm putting into this myself and so, some things have to give, you know. I was trying to remember like the last time I did see you and I think it was Hard Work and Class Heroes, which of course is being rebranded now as Ireland Music Week. Yeah. And you're in for a panel, I believe. I was, so yeah. you've done yeah. that. I mean, like, I guess you're doing these like, like on occasion. I mean, like, yeah. I guess just from that point of view, I mean, like, how do you find kind of giving advice to other musicians as an active musician, one who is still mm. finding his own way? And as you say yourself, you're not sure where you're going to go next, which is, a, I think is really exciting. Yeah. But even like, you know, kind of, you, you have enough of a kind of a life under the collar as a musician now. I guess so. Like next year, I'll be releasing music as Bantam for 10 years, which is nuts, <laughs> you know? Um, so like a lot of young musicians reach out to me and I, I get back to them and I give them advice, which is great. But it's something I felt when I started out, I couldn't find a mentor or anybody to help me um, on the production side of things or on the industry side of things. Actually, one person who was a really big help to me back in the day was Jape, uh, Richie Egan. Hmm. Um, and I think of what he did with me and I, I keep, I'm, I'm conscious of that when I see young musicians coming through today and um if they need any help a lot to be honest a lot of these kids coming out of bim and stuff they know their shit yeah you know, like, a yeah, lot yeah. more than we do yeah yeah so a lot of them don't need that much advice but um y- you know I'm, I'm only happy to help mm. if, if anybody's out you know asking for it uh, look anyway. back look back one last time for me 10 years like did you did you think you'd still be doing this or like can you go back to that guy no or? man i remember I was in a band in Cork when I was 21. I was like, man, if I haven't made it by the time I'm 27, I'm going to quit, you know? I, I don't even started by then, you know? So, what a fucking idiot. Well, I love that, right? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we're, we're consistently talking about this stuff. It's like, you know, you got to look after yourself. You got to like, you know, there's like, we're all dealing with the same stuff at this age of being like musicians where it's all like, you know, it's yeah. really difficult, like, but you've got to like, like juggle these two things or like you've got to look after yourself in certain ways and stuff and then back when you were like fucking 20, 21 it was just like what? fuck this shit man I'm going to get hammered it's going to be class what a twat I was <laughs> but um no yeah 10 years it's mad um here's to another but like in the in those 10 years in Dublin it, that you know I learned so much and more than I ever did in college um I've met some of the best people I know you know um and it, it it makes me want to stay in Ireland, you know, like I, I thought about traveling or going abroad or something like that, but I, I just love the Irish music scene here and the, and the people I know, you know, so um, and it still inspires me. So it's it's really cool. Long way to continue. Well, look, thank you so much for coming back to us. Let's not leave it another 165 episodes or whatever it was. <laughs> no, let's yeah, let's do the next one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah, just show up. Just, just, just kick up, in the yeah. door of the studio. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Bantam. Great to see you. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Much love. That was Bantam, as noted before. Lots of music out now. Uh, I really enjoyed that interview. Yeah, it really sets him up as an elder statesman of the Irish music scene. Well, he's I mean, finally he's, he's finally made the turn. He's we're not all, like seventy. We're all now at that age. <laughs> well, it was. It was literally like, geez, do you remember ten years ago we were doing this? Oh man, it's mad. He was in he was in very fine reflective form, and he was great. Was yet amazing. again, is proving that he's making some of the most innovative and interesting music around. And as you kind of pointed out during the interview, uh, the spirit of collaboration has really brought something out in him as well. Exactly, I mean, like, yeah. it was there before, but it just seems to be something that he's really capitalizing. 
closing up. Yeah, and he just seems to be in a really good place right now, which is really, really great. There's one point in that interview where he's kind of talking about like how when he came back to Dublin, people were saying he even looks different because he's so so much more at peace. Yeah, um, and it's true. Like he looks fantastic, and he's he's doing great. Yeah, and I mean in music, right? Like confidence in releasing music can go mm-hmm. one of two ways. Hundred percent. And yeah. that's why <laughs> to kick off songs of the week this week, <laughs> it's Jeremy Renner. Yeah, from the Avengers, Hawkeye, Born Legacy, Mission Impossible. It's Jeremy Renner, everybody. She keeps it old school. Feels like rock and roll, but got that new groove. Unpredictable, I gotta tell you. I'll never be the same. Heaven don't have a name. Right, okay. Um, where to even begin with this? I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, so, like, right, okay. Um, <laughs> in the days before last week's podcast, he went on Twitter, did Big Jeremy, or whoever runs his Twitter account for him, and posted a very short video of him singing, or attempting to. Yeah, uh, like really badly singing. <laughs> like, 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 yeah, we're doing double, I gotta do. It was just like, okay, what is this? And then, like, there's a weird, like, cut where it just showed this, like, wacky disco lights thing that looked like it was bought in fucking Poundland. <laughs> and I'm like, you're a millionaire. I don't understand this. So, on the Friday that this episode came out, we were overshadowed immediately by Heaven Don't Have a Name, Jeremy Renner's debut single proper, question mark? I don't I know, so. because this song actually existed last year. There was a Dutch DJ called Sam Felt. Who put out (laughs) Who put out This song Only it was like The dance remix That you would make For this song And that's where This came from With Jeremy Renner As a featured artist I don't think it Set the world on fire Or anything And then this comes along And um if you go to Jeremy Renner's Spotify page, which I, a sentence that I just escaped my mouth, and is there's true, so much there's music. more. There's covers of House of the Rising Sun. and Which is so, ba- even more baffling. <laughs> I've never heard a human voice make those noises. The way he's trying to enunciate, it's not human. I don't, I- which factors into his cra- his cover of the Crash Test Dummies hit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so apparently a friend of the show, Carlo Malocco, was followed on Instagram once by a hip music producer from LA or somewhere called Eric Zane. And Carlo looked up this man and was like, who the fuck is this? And essentially was just baffled by this guy's gaudiness and was like, whatever kind of music this guy makes, it's not really going to be for me, is it? He's the producer on Jeremy Renner's oh. music, hence it's drenched in auto-tune. It's just very, like, Imagine Dragons-y. It's so yeah. Imagine Dragons-y. It's, it's, it, I, I saw one review, I think it was in, like, Men's Health or something. <laughs> they were like, of course it was. They, were like, they were like, Jeremy Renner is singing over the, a song that desperately wants to be on a new commercial for a new brand of lumber. <laughs> like, like, this is astonishingly bad. I, 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 it's a midlife crisis. It really is. Let him have his... his, his no, it's just very his, much like, yeah. I have all the money in the world yeah. and all the time in the world. What the fuck am I going to do? You can buy the sports car. That's sorted. Name. He wants the pop career. It's so odd, though, because, you know, it's this gross. does happen from time to time where major, you know, movie stars will go, well, actually, my true passion is music and they'll have a little vanity project. But it's usually kind of stuff where it's like they'll do some throwback genre stuff where it's clear that they do really like it or like, you know, yeah, Robert yeah, Downey yeah. Jr. will start doing fucking um, lounge musicy stuff because he's like, this is my real passion. If Jeremy Renner's true passion is this very generic Imagine Dragons <laughs> style music, like, 
what? Like, is this the kind of stuff he listens to? When you to? go on the YouTube channel as well, like, the comments are just overwhelmingly positive. <laughs> like, everybody on the comment section is like, this is amazing. You're so talented. You've got such a good voice. This is incredible. <laughs> when he's fucking the, mental. The, this woman he's talking about, by the way. Oh, man. What a character. <laughs> go on. Just, you, like, she's there in front of the jukebox. She's like, she's old school because um she loves Billy Jean. Which I'm like, Jeremy, no. I'm like, not so cool, mate. Like, uh, old school that she doesn't have any but social she's media. New, yeah. new groove, doesn't she? She's, she's like, got that new groove as yeah. well, which is important. Uh, but also, he can't seem to remember much about her whatsoever. She did change his life. Uh, it tastes like Tanqueray, apparently, as yeah, well. Yeah, like yeah, gin. Yeah. She tastes like gin and lipstick, I believe. So, so, what does yeah. lipstick even taste uh, like? A, a possible gin, whatever. woman she's, he's met at a bar. Who's, who's a Michael Jackson stan who will not let it go. <laughs> And yeah, it, it just, it, it veers into like sonic hell very quickly. You get this like, yeah, very Imagine Dragons we, we mentioned as well, but like Maroon 5 on fucking like steroids, yeah. killing he, someone in a gym. By the last <laughs> course, he is belting it out. Like he's shrieking, yeah, yeah, yeah. like his life so, depends on it. No like popcorn, when his family disappears no in popcorn, Avengers, <laughs> no he popcorn. doesn't have that emotional reaction. <laughs> <laughs> no popcorn co-host, uh, Dave Higgins, has put this unironically, I think, or perhaps ironically, into his best of 2019 playlist. <laughs> Uh, I'll say this. It's made an impression. I'll, I'll say this, right? I can't get it out of my head. And it's it's kind of haunting my brain right now. It's 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 terrible, but it made me laugh. Yeah. So there you go. So thank you, Jeremy. Are we getting an album? Oh, also the artwork. And the artwork for House of the Rising Sun. I mean, like, yeah. is it a gag? Like, is this for a role? Is he playing some kind of, like, no. Joaquin no, Phoenix? I don't think like, so. Or some, like, Russell Brand-esque, you know, get him to the Greek type Because of it's not, it, it's not like outrageously bad enough it's like somebody who is feels like they're actually genuinely yeah. doing trying to do something it's definitely not a role do you think thing. it sounds good no, no. Like, like I mean it's it's if you produce this it's polished like, but it's, it's polished yeah. polished is the word it's like it, it's like a well produced track but without any imagination how much did it cost do we think like I mean oh God. How much well, this whoever guy? did it probably did it for free, right? So that they could get the royalties <laughs> yeah, back that's off it. Like, pretty good I don't know. I, I don't think it's even like doing well. I don't think it's been released. Like it's not like yeah, there's I no video know. for it. I'm well, not sure it, it exists. Like, anyway, it feels like it's just like, in our heads. I don't <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't think he's even come out with any kind of statement that is like, hey, by the way, this is my yeah, like this. You know, is, he has a dedicated app. For oh, himself, it's fucking yeah. hilarious, incredible. Happy Rens Day. The Jeremy checked it. The Jeremy Renner app. Oh my it's, God. He's so weird. <laughs> and also, I've been a fan of Jeremy Renner as an actor for years. Yeah. I saw him on an episode of Angel of all things. He's a great actor. Like. And then he pops him in the fucking Hurt Locker and I'm like, this is the guy. He's going to be great. And then he's he's great when he's doing characters of Great in the Town. Have you, know? you like seen him in interviews? Like, what is he like he's as a dude? He's usually kind of getting... standoffish and okay. rude. Like, yeah, he doesn't seem like a fun dude. And I don't know. I mean, like, he's probably like a fucking womanizer based on this song anyway, you know? <laughs> <laughs> My my probably a woman. <laughs> all right, all right. Allegedly, allegedly, <laughs> according to your, <laughs> according to the Jeremy Renner app, which we all have to download by the way, which I presume is only available in like North. I saw America. one writer describe it as like um, Facebook ten years ago, but like the newsfeed is just all Jeremy Renner content. <laughs> what? I have to download it. Oh man. Okay. So yeah, my whole thing. This came out on Friday, and like I was like, I am not budging. This is my song of the week. <laughs> it's oh, coming yeah. in, and I said to myself yesterday, I was like, even if a fucking new Kanye West track comes <laughs> along and sure enough Craig there we 
go. Let's have a new Kanye West song. This is called Brothers. We should have lit cigars when your baby was born. Should have shouted you out and dedicated a song. I could say I was wrong. I could take the blame. Cause brothers don't always have to share the same name. We met when we was young. I forgot the grade. When last one the face was a rotten age. Since then I done good and rotten things. So I can tell you one thing. As soon as I cut the grass low. It's easier to see the assholes. So I'm sorry for all the miscues. How about I admit that? It's Kanye West and Charlie Wilson debuting on a TV show. Is it about Jay Z? Is it any good? Um, yes, and yes, I think. I'm not sure if I'm just re- so relieved that it sounds like something approaching a classic Kanye song that I'm overhyping it, but I really enjoyed it. It's piano led, it's kind of late registrationary. Uh, registrationary, registration e, um, kind of reminded First me a bit one. of white dress in terms of it's quite sentimental, um, low key. It's it's him going back in time a bit, and he's rapping properly again, which is a big deal, I think. Right, like his flow yeah. is actually back. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I didn't like the song really at all. Really, yeah. I felt a bit. It's felt a, bit a bit weak. Kind of also sappy. just the circumstances around its release and this weird TV program that it's it's a BET in, show, which Irv looks Gotti's horrendously tales. Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's been released as a full version on Instagram, so I don't even yeah. know if it's going to be. Is on it an supposed album. to be at the end of the season finale or something of this I've, season? And I think it just it was the premiere or something. Really, okay. but. I mean, it kind of does feel in keeping with his Sunday service gospel-y vibe, but I don't know if, like, yeah, if he's bit, just yeah. gifting this song, I don't know if we can read anything yeah, into I think where it's he's bit, going. I think it's a bit weak as well. I mean, like, ultimately, it's nice to hear him jigsaw piece together a song in the structure of a song again after Yay, for the most part, which kind of, like, was a bit too too and froey and didn't really have much in the way of classics apart from maybe one or two. Definitely one, Ghost Town. Um, he sounds upbeat, he sounds together... The message on it is a bit kind of strange. Like, it's, it's nice, because it is that thing of, like, you know, oh, like, I mean, like, I want to just fucking hang out again and be friends, mate, if it's about Jay-Z or whatever it's about. Mm-hmm. But I I want more from Kanye. I would rather have, like, no, fuck this, Life of Pablo, Jesus Kanye, I'm annoyed again, and, I, and I'm the best yeah, in the world. Yeah, you don't I think want he, an album of this. <laughs> he ma- yeah, he makes better music when he when, when, when he's fucking, like, like, thinks he's 500 feet tall. I mean, like, when he is brash and he is kind of, like, a chip on his shoulder, I think. I mean, happy Kanye is something I would like to have in life. I want him to be happy. We, we are fans of the man. Yeah. But the music suffers, I think. Well, th- this samples Violent Crimes uh, slightly, so it's kind of an update on that. And I thought that was one of the weaker Yay tracks, uh, particularly like lyrically. It was just this messy take on like um, his concern for like his kids and stuff, but also it was quite misogynistic. And then it turned out that he didn't write it whatsoever. Um, so at least we've got what I think are actually some fairly decent bars. Now I say decent in terms of relatively considering he's been like phoning it in in that regard. So it seems like he's at least focused again, musically speaking. Um, so I think that bodes well. But yeah, it's it's not going into the pantheon of Canyon's stuff. It's not. Dahi mentioned Keen Kavanaugh on the show earlier. Yeah. He has teamed up with David Kitt and Feta for a song called Follow the Sound. Yeah, so this you've probably seen this track on any advertising kind of on your YouTube channels if you're from Ireland, or if you've you've probably seen it in uh, on your Instagram. 
Um, it's basically the this year's version of the three campaign, which is called Made by Music. Um, last year, uh, they picked three artists and made videos for them. This year, they've kind of taken what they learned from that campaign. I have to be kind of careful because this feels like I'm advertising for three or something. But, <laughs> but anyway. Um, well, last year we got the Saint Sister. Yeah. Shafaris, so there was this at the end of, at the end of, the, of their campaign last year, they got this Causing Trouble remix, which was with Cormac. Which is a great yeah. song. And it's a fantastic song. And has song. stood, like it actually has evolved past yeah, any and, commercial. And this time. is why this stuff is really interesting because um, so this year they're releasing three more songs, but this time it's with three artists collaborating in each of the songs. So this is the first one of it. Um, and I think it's a really, really good song. Um, it's a really, really interesting one because it, this is kind of like a, a magic ideal thing for Irish artists, I think, especially people who are starting out like King Kavanaugh, who only has maybe two or three tracks on Spotify. Mm. Um, so basically what happens is uh, three come along, they pay their, the artists like a, a good proper sum for this this track um, and then they get a, a high profile director to make a really really high profile video and they, they <coughs> promote it to a really really high high standard um, it's a re- this this song is really really good it feels very much like a kind of a the Keen Kavanaugh vocal melodies kind of sound like they come from Keen uh, Feta's like uh, vocal is really really nice on top and it has this under sheen with David Kidd who as we already know is, is also working as New Jackson and it has this really nice New Jackson feel with the drum beats and the, the synths over the top and stuff so it's really really nice and then the video is really really good as well it basically it depicts a wedding where the kind of the bride loses herself to music uh, in her first dance um, it's directed by Ian Robertson, who's, who's a director from England who um, made the Need You 100% Duke Demont videos. Anyone remember that one? It was where somebody had like a, a sound system in their stomach. Oh, yeah. And they walked around. Yeah, and yeah, you can yeah. actually see the style kind of come from one of these right, to the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I, think, I think it's a really, really good track. And it's the first track of this campaign. I have been very lucky to hear one of the other tracks that hasn't been released yet. And it's actually even better than this one. So all in all, like, this is really, really good for Irish artists and I think it's worth talking about because it's a it's a really, really good chance for artists who are starting out. Um, a couple of years ago when I was starting out, uh, there was the Artist Day Guinness campaign stuff and um, they paid me a, f- a fee to play. I thought you were going to say a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> like, they paid me a large fee to play on one of these gigs and use some of my music for it. But what it basically did was it paid for my first EP after the album. Okay. So this kind of thing is like, really really special and it should be kind of championed as much as it yeah. can it's like be like the old Medici days of Exa- exactly <laughs> exactly it is back it is. to the renaissance <laughs> I mean I share like I share your concerns because I mean even like you suggested this is like a song last week for like Exit Music and I was like oh but it's like it's a brand thing so therefore uh. and then I listened to it this week off the back of you selecting it and I was like oh fuck it's actually a great song yeah. Causing Trouble was a great song and, and this is the thing I mean, that, I, that's I what it should boil down to one of the best things about it and, and I've noticed that this campaign from last year was nominated for a Cannes Advertising mm-hmm. Award as well yeah. and stuff um, I, I think one of the best things about it is that they're not trying to be too um, like they're not trying to control it too much if you know what I mean yeah, the, yeah. the songs seem to be coming from the artist well that's a really interesting thing because I mean and you'll be able to say more about this but I, I think ultimately like brands are in a weird position where and like not to be defending like multi-million corporations right, but like they're in a weird position where if they if they genuinely want to do this kind of thing and they genuinely actually give independence and autonomy to the artists and give them money and give them time and give them space and at the end of it they make great things you're down if you do, down if you don't. I mean, like it's always going to be like, oh well, you know, like it's it's impossible to not be cynical about this kind of thing. But there probably are creatives within who actually do mean well, do pick artists who need it, and at the end, you know, they make great things. But obviously, you might have like a, a stench attached to it that people can't get past. Yeah, I mean, I think the better brands do realize that 
<clears throat> they can't even seem too attached to it in any way because it certainly really if they it, interfere slightly, just it ruins the whole thing. Yeah. Because there is that question mark and then just by its very nature in the creative process, you'll get something that's crap, essentially. Mm. Um, but it's definitely been recognised that doing these kind of projects does give the brands just kind of secondary clout like and a level of goodwill. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's, it is actually... Yeah. I mean, it's not altruistic. You're getting something out of it, but it's something that seems to work for both parties. And yeah, I think it's a good way forward, particularly when you see how, you know, topsy-turvy the industry is and yeah, how artists are struggling. So I think, yeah, more of this is definitely needed. And it's all about intentions, where yeah. the people are coming from. Like this as a track isn't doing a job for the brand. It's a standalone thing. Yeah. So yeah. And and for, I mean, if they're aiming towards whatever, our age bracket or whatever the only campaigns that I can remember from three of the last four or five yeah. years are these campaigns in yeah, particular yeah. now maybe that's because I'm kind of in in the kind of the sections of it but like I think it's great yeah. and do you like it Greg? I do actually yeah I think all the ingredient, ingredients are great and it's well put together I did find myself like listening to it really enjoying it and then forgetting, forgetting it. what yeah. it sounded yeah. like same yeah do you know what I mean so um, but yeah it's, it's an accomplished track um, I like all the ingredients yeah. I think, so it, I think it really showcases King Kavanagh in a certain way because I mean I think he's definitely one of the more exciting producers slash upcoming people yeah. um, really really dying to see what he released because again like he only has three or four tracks on Spotify you know like I mean it's, there's not a huge amount of work out there apart from the stuff that he's done with Kojak and the Softboy crew you know? and you say the next one in this series is even better even better probably not allowed to tell us who it is are you I'm not going to tell no. oh, Okay. I don't think I'm allowed So I don't think you're allowed now no. I'll get it out of you it's, <laughs> it's fantastic okay. it's really really good okay uh, but is our album fantastic and really really good this week that's the question uh, Thom York of Radiohead fame is back he only released the soundtrack to Doggy's favourite film of last year and favourite soundtrack of Woo! last year I believe Suspiria and now he's back <laughs> with his own boy. thing <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, here comes a partial review of <laughs> this nine track album is called Anima and this song is called Not the News Craig Primer. Really? Tom yeah. York? Fuck it, like, go on. Um, he's a bloke, <laughs> he's a miserable bloke from Oxford. That actually isn't that miserable and can be quite funny as he is at times on this. Um, yeah, of course, uh, frontman for Radiohead. Been in the game since the early 90s. Um, has broken away from the main group um, a number of times. He's done a lot of soundtrack work, like Suspiria from last year. He's now released three solo albums, which um, with The Eraser um, and uh, Tomorrow's Modern Boxes, it was kind of showcased for was more electronic work as it is here, but it was more, it felt like stuff that wouldn't necessarily fit into Radiohead and stuff that was maybe just clogging up his hard drive at times. I feel like this is a lot more focused. He seems to be making more of a literal song and dance about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a to- Paul Thomas Anderson short film based on it as well. So yeah, there's a bit of kind of major label hoopla about this, which is unusual for a Tom York solo. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's released on Exile Recordings and they've actually gone out of their way to kind of really, really push this as well. I think on the Exile Recordings um, 
YouTube channel there's an interview with Zane Lowe and, and Tom and that's quite interesting because <laughs> uh, it's just such a weird like they come across as so weird there was like, a great still the promotional image to, to like of this was Tom York looking absolutely miserable like, <laughs> slumped yeah. on a bar yeah, yeah, Zane yeah, Lowe yeah. was like alright that's, that's an easy pull though <laughs> because he's up. actually he's, great. He, they actually seem to be getting on like good old mates in that interview it's very very strange but like I mean Zane Lowe is his typical self and like there's a lot of like just random musings that kind of don't really go anywhere and like but some of the stuff that do come out of it is is Tom York for a very long time was the type of person where he wrote music he would like detach himself from family and friends and like write stuff um uh, completely separate because it was apparently so negative that it really, really affected his personal relationships wow. really badly. Whereas now, and you can see it in the interview and he actually literally says it in the interview as well, he has kind of found a way to write music at the same time as living with his family and everything and, and he's really found a nice, nice balance. And I think that comes across well, quite well You'd have to ask his family, song. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all great. People love it. Yeah, I'm in the kitchen I mean, banging this off, man. <laughs> the, this record, like for, for a Tom York or a Radiohead or that type of record is quite positive in yeah. my opinion it comes across quite well there's some very very nice moments um, I think the real kind of standout that a lot of people seem to be talking about is Don Corr stunning track which is incredible. an absolutely incredible yeah. track I think it's one of the best um, things he's ever done yeah now that track has been knocking around for a good few years it was one of these classic things where you play in a Radiohead show or play in like a um, Adams for Peace show as like a kind of a piano piece that people would listen to so it's been one of those classic Radiohead things where people have been crying out for this track yeah, for yeah. ages um, this version of the track is absolutely amazing it has synths that are like up there with everything in its right place this kind of like amazing chord structures with this really powerful undercurrent um, and it's an absolutely amazing track um, and then that one and um, uh, what is the name of the track uh, Not The News are my two favourite tracks out of this record Not The News is absolutely incredible I think it has this amazing moment in the second half where um, an orchestra comes in and makes this incredible yeah. powerful sweeping um, statement basically um, and both of those are on the short film which is absolutely excellent as well it's really really worth checking which out which I on haven't seen you really have to watch it it is absolutely Strange. amazing um, it's like kind of very um, I don't know it's like it's got this like really really amazing Buster Keaton kind of feel to it where like like Zane, like I don't know, Tom has has become such a kind of he's become a, like a performer more than he ever has yeah. before. He can like I mean since like the kind of the dancing kind of memes that he was doing before this and stuff. Yeah, it's like, and oh, it's all people are memes, loving but, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like it does feel like a real Buster Keaton thing. And I think like Paul Thomas Anderson actually uses that as a reference in the in the piece. But um, it is an absolutely incredible music video if you want to call that for three different tracks and I would encourage anybody to watch that even before you listen to the album because it's it's absolutely incredible you know yeah I mean I, I like it's weird because like Radiohead I've said before on the show that like, they're one of those sacred cows that like I've always enjoyed but I've never I, I've, I never had the fan thing I never had the moment I mean mm-hmm. Kid A was close to everything Kid A is a masterpiece and I think like a lot of Radiohead stuff is absolutely incredible you know I grew up like okay computer in the bends are obviously like CDs that were around in my gaff and like I very much enjoyed them but I just never fully developed the love and the passion for Radiohead that like, so many people have and mm. I've I've likened it before to like religious experiences so I find it hard to just dive into Tom York a lot of the time um, I've gone back actually a little bit to the Suspiria soundtrack um, mm. like the kind of the key moments from that one because I, I went and I watched like a long YouTube review of the movie and the soundtrack was obviously a huge part of it, it is a huge part of it as you yeah. as you well know and love um, and with this I mean I found myself in this weird position where I was like this is absolutely excellent but of course I would expect it to be like he's, yeah, he's a high standard here already yeah he's, like, he's kind of operating it within his own confines and mm-hmm. they're not really confines at all I suppose they're, like he uh, he has his own kind of mastery over what he's doing yeah. um, I don't know if he's you know 
an individual iconic great. I guess to a lot of people he probably is, but I don't think he needs to even be in that conversation because I think he's singular. I think he's very unique as an artist and what he does is entirely his. And a track like Don Chorus just knocks you out and hits you for six. You can actually see the fucking sun coming up out of the ground. You can yeah. see like twilight lights twinkling in the distance and this, the sound of the synths is just unbelievable. Like, I mean, like the, I don't know how he does it. Um, and also, like, I mean, it's that thing of like, when do you when do you have a relationship with this album? Do you have it when you're in work? Do you have it when you're going to bed? Do you have it when you're on the bus? Do you have it when you're walking home from therapy? In my case, I've tried all four of those and it's it's fucking, like, it's tough to just dive into it and, like, it's, it's that thing as well where, like, you get, like, three or four songs in and you're like, I kind of need a bit of a break now. Like, yeah. like, like it's almost like a three-act play even though it's only nine tracks long and I think it's brilliant. I think he's brilliant. I just don't know if I love it. Yeah, it, it has this, I mean, I can, I, I wasn't really sure whether people were going to like it or not. I think it's being favorably well-received yeah. pretty yeah, everybody so. yeah big time the, yeah. the kind of the thing that kind of I guess sets it apart from other Tom York stuff and other Radiohead stuff is that I mean Jesus like it is such a percussion and drum heavy um, like and what you're saying there is is quite true it's like it's a very active listen because it's so intense a lot yeah. of the time um, and apart from Don Course like I mean there's just these like really intense beats coming through I would I would say that it's obvi- it's probably more beat focused then it would be melody focused which is usually the opposite is true for Radiohead stuff you know sure. so I can see why some people would be alienated by that um, it has a very there's a lot of like modern dance music um, influences in this very very much so again like if you go back to um, if you go back to Not The News like it has this it does this slow build which techno is kind of built around where it's like slowly slowly building up and holds back and it's got the release and build of tension you really feel like he's kind of come to understand like kind of modern dance music in this yeah. really interesting way which he hasn't done before I would say that's um, a really good point and that really sets it apart I think yeah, yeah that point and I think Dave you using the word mastery <clears throat> earlier were like kind of something I hit on a lot um, because I was thinking of like we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of Kid A when yeah, Radiohead started their kind of forays into electronic music mm-hmm. in any way from the, the kind of guitars they knew and uh, obviously there's a lot of kind of classic stuff from around that time but the kind of question mark was always are they just channeling better influences like the likes of an Apex Twin are they just kind of giving this in kind of you know mass production form or slightly watered yeah. down form I think he's now reached a point where he's doing this kind of music at a level that is as good as anyone out there yeah. and he's able to manipulate sounds to like add his own will to kind of fulfill the narratives he's going for I mean this is quite a, a warm album and there's mm-hmm. kind of playful moments but it is about like dystopian anxiety yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he's, he is working through a lot of stuff like it's interesting even the title is that Jungian thing of like it's the feminine side of man and when you lose that you turn into basically a Brexiter you're just like a obnoxious mm-hmm. old dude but a way to hold on to that is to kind of channel creativity so it's interesting that he seems to be dealing with his own issues by just kind of getting it out there um, and using this kind of weird sonic landscape of a city just filled with tension and the kind of yeah the constant percussion and the noises are just like it's either flies around your soon to be corpse or it's like drones about to kill you it's just quite intense but Mm. It works like it really ensnared me from like the first listen to I keep return to it in a way that like as much as I love Radiohead, the last few releases from any of the guys in it or the band themselves, I've just been like, yeah, I'll listen to it. I'll kind of 
respect it and admire it and then it won't make any real connection with me there's something kind of i don't know if it's the fact that just since about like okay computer he's been talking about the end of the world and like the singularity and stuff and now he's reached his moment where that doesn't sound like someone just whining he's just like oh yeah he's like yeah it's the news here we are it's grand. Yeah, yeah yeah we're in it now he's I told suddenly you so. <laughs> the most relevant he's ever been with this kind of stuff and it turns out that actually he's kind of like eh, maybe we'll get through it like yeah, there's moments yeah, yeah, yeah. of sun sun, sun sunshine there <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah I just I, I think it's the best thing he's done since in rainbows whoa there that's huge yeah. I guess lastly before we get to scores uh, I wanted to ask you just for a direct compare and contrast which obviously very musically different very different projects in terms of just what was on what was on the brief yeah. but given your love for the Suspiria yeah. record where does this kind of sit in with that like I think it's from a, from pretty a pers- soon after from a personal like, level like Suspiria was a very kind of like a close album from a personal thing but I think on um on like actual artistic merit and actual like a piece of work this is probably stronger than Suspiria I would say but like I mean as a personal favourite Suspiria will probably be above this for me okay. I mean again like as usual with, with this stuff as well Nigel Godric like is the hidden like secret in this as well yeah. it's like this continuous thing where like in that interview with St. Lo um, uh, Tom talks about um, how he like it's just really interesting like he kind of it almost feels like a, like he, he has a studio in his house and he just wanders in and tries and mess around with stuff and tries to find the thing and if he doesn't he just wanders back out again yeah. and he comes back in again and he, and he finds it and then apparently he would get to a certain stage and then he'd send it off to Nigel so weird. Yeah. and it's then really like, interesting he process. would like build it all up and sort it out and they're currently on tour together like like Nigel Godric is like the secret weapon in a lot of this he's I a really, saint really he's going like, through like it's like those mini discs that were like leaked he's going through that kind of quantity yeah. of stuff and just being like okay I'll use this little this bit as a loop and send yeah. it back to him and yeah just, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah the and you see all the moments of genius like when Tom talks about like the stuff that he's he's done before it's kind of like and Nigel told me to go in and do this and then I did it <laughs> and then it was like the magic came out so like if you want to talk about a really incredible producer who yeah. gets the most out Good of job. incredible people just fucking Nigel Godric like. not a lot of stuff this year has jumped out of me I don't know how strong of a year it's been album wise and ultimately this is an album that I'm really really looking forward to going back to exploring over the course of the year when I'm not in the confines of a review that said I'm still giving it 8 out of 10 because I think it's of a higher quality yeah 8.5 for me uh, it's right up there of the year yeah it's an easy 9 out of 10 for me um, easy, and 9. easy 9 easy 9 and, uh, easy 9 easy now it'll be <laughs> it'll be definitely in the, the, the talks for the end of the year yeah. for sure okay this episode of No Encore was engineered by Sonic Architect Dahio Droni yeah. <laughs> shouts to our Sonic Architect Eve Murray who is on a well deserved holiday uh, and you guys are also taken off again yeah I'm off to Bilbao <laughs> for BBK I'm going to see the Strokes hey are you going are you going to all the festival it's like 3 no, days I'm missing Liam Gallagher on the Thursday because okay. I'm already traveling. Out. So, is, like, is this like here. a is this like a, a picnic thing, or is it like a Trinity series thing? Like, how does this work? No, it's like a picnic thing. Like, it's okay. yeah, it's like a proper festival. I was looking at like last year's stage time zone. I didn't like consider how on the continents they're quite a bit later. Like, there's no real curfews. I think the headliners usually start at like half two in the morning yeah, three yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like okay I'll Unreal. be interesting I'll report back Great. I look forward to that you're off to play Latitude I'll be playing Latitude at the Sulla stage at about 10pm so if any of our English listeners are around come down and say hi what day is that? Thursday Thursday I think I have to drive myself and junior brother from Stansted Airport as well so oh well. alright we'll have a little do some little. do some shit YouTube viral stuff <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh my god myself and junior brother singing in the fucking car uh, all karaoke <laughs> I'll be here then celebrating my birthday alone Oh, there you go I will do something this weekend thanks guys uh, <laughs> uh, oh the listening corner though I, I listen to lots of things so they can be my friends <laughs> 
So I started watching that show Barry, that HBO show with Bill Hader. Where it's he, supposed to be great. It's fucking brilliant. Okay. I'm so uh, season two is just finished, and I dove, I dove into season one. Uh, Higgs has been recommended for a very long time. If anyone doesn't know, HBO show, half an hour episodes, dark comedy drama. Bill Hader plays a hitman who uh, wants to get into acting, and he's great in it. Stephen Root is fantastic in it. Henry Winkler is a fucking joy in it. It's tremendous. And at the end of like episode five or something, uh, Hamilton and Rostam, one of their songs from I Had a Dream That You Were Mine, came on and I was just reminded of how fucking amazing that is and how incredible Hamilton Lighthouse's voice is and how much I miss Rostam from the current Vampire Weekend setup. Eh, don't think it was missed on Monday, but anyway. And so <laughs> I went back to that record, which uh, is a modern classic. I, I want another album from them soon, please. Uh, apart from that, uh, Fang Club have a new album out pretty much as of this podcast coming out. It's called Vulture Culture. I interviewed the frontman, Stephen King. No, not that one. I'm sure he's had that his entire life. I apologize for making the gag. Uh, I spoke with him for about a half an hour there and I was really, really impressed by his resolve. He's been through a lot as is listed in the band's press release, which I found kind of odd. Um, He struggled with addiction issues. He had an overdose and he has... uh, come back like he's a year and a half sober uh, this is their second album an awful lot has gone into it and speaking with him for half an hour like I mean like like, like I've said before like with, with the show and I think it, it, like weirdly enough I mean like Bantam Interview is just the latest I think we're on an incredible run lately I, whether it's just I don't know people just have stuff to say or whatever it is uh, everyone I've spoken to almost this year has been with the exception of the murder capital maybe uh, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm joking uh, I, I think everyone's been really interesting to talk to uh, this year and I think like ultimately what I what I love doing with the show, as I said before, is I love just having conversations with people, real conversations with people, and uh, it was no different with him. And I came out of it. Uh, we we reviewed the Fine Club debut album when it came yeah. out. I think we were fairly in the middle on it. And I came promising, out promising. I think was yeah, promising. Yeah. yeah, and we came out of the. Uh, I, I came out of this interview with him, and I and I found myself being like, I'm rooting for that guy. Like like, like I, was, I was I was really impressed by him and his story and, and his his honesty and just like he just seemed like a good dude. So uh, shout out to their album, which comes out today. Uh, the Future Heads have released their first new singles in seven years, uh, two of them no less I gave them both one listen each and I won't be going back <laughs> and finally uh, an emo band called the Appleseed Cast who make kind of really sweeping expansive music have a new album called The Fleeting Light of Impermanence if you're into that kind of thing you'll like this but also today, holy shit Exposing in the Sky announced for oh, Vicar Street yeah. next year, 20th anniversary tour so naturally enough I've, I've dove back into them so yeah, tons of music this week, Dahi what have you been listening to? There is so much music out this week uh, Rosalia released two new tracks as well which are definitely worth a listen, one of my absolute favourites, Bonobo, released the track called Linked. That's also really, really good. More kind of classic Bonobo stuff. Um, and then apart from that, I've been listening to myself because I have a new EP coming out next week. Yeah. Uh, Very exciting. A short film that I scored uh, called Halo. It was in the Galway Film Flat. Um, it'll be airing on Thursday. And uh, I'm going to be releasing an EP, a five-track EP uh on that Thursday as well so you can listen to my very first uh, short film score I've heard it it scared me Ooh, yeah it shook me remember I said that one of the tracks sounded like Chernobyl but you said that you recorded it before you saw Chernobyl I did I recorded it yeah so Chernobyl copied me basically there you go (laughs) Chernobyl copied me the biggest show (laughs) of the year has has ripped Dahi off what about you Um, Mad Lib has teamed back up with Freddie Gibbs uh, for Mad Gibbs Uh, it's the second album from the pair Bandana it's really good just kind of lush cocaine rap Um, Mad Lib obviously one of the most underrated rap or hip hop producers around uh, teamed up with Doom for Mad Villainy which is a total classic these are apparently beats that he um, gave to Kanye around the time of the life of Pablo and Kanye rejected them all but no more parties in LA I guess just because it didn't fit his vibe 
but they're uniformly incredible as the stuff always is and you know there's features from the likes of Black Thought and Pusha T on this and Freddie Gibbs more than holds his own he's extremely good as well so definitely check that out it's one of the rap albums of the year Okay uh, it's sweltering in the studio yeah. right now so we're <laughs> going to get to the exit music which is also sweltering this week it's a debut Ooh. single by a new artist called Deshoda it's called In Between singer and songwriter pop producer and he has basically come out with this brand new track which I gave one listen to and went that's really good uh, he worked alongside producer Darren Nolan who I think you might be aware of yeah fantastic producer worked with Sacred Animals A. Smith already <laughs> and also has worked with Dahi <laughs> uh, you're, you're not on the press release here <laughs> you know, yeah, what yeah, the fuck tell you. Uh, Deshoda says that this song was in, he was inspired by the onset of adulthood and also by the ideas of intimacy and distance in relationships and I just like the imagery in the words uh, as did I it's a really good track good for this time of year as well Deshoda in between my name is David William Hanrady this has been No Encore there will be No Encore next week I just don't know what it'll sound like yet because it's probably just going to be me alright <laughs> see ya I don't feel like screaming out The story's blown about the streets I'd rather hold you here in silence Your dark shape sings me serenades You must have waited oh so long
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.